Wow, that's fast. Hello, I'm Eagle. Eagle Gardens. Eagle Gardens one on Instagram. This is fucking talking shit with Eagle, episode 397. Wormhole. Trying this again. Hopefully with a little bit of luck. Hopefully with a little bit of luck. Says I'm live. Just gonna run with it. Look you there. It looks like things are up and live. I see some folks in chat. Scooters 3G. How you doing? Johnny Canis Seed. Man, I'm trying like hell. I'm trying like hell. I don't know how long this internet will hold out. Seed up. Blaze Daily. How you guys doing? Man, we might need somebody to jump in just for a backup. Just for a backup. Thank you, Scooter. How you doing? C-Dub, what you guys smoking on? And I, li- I do like this shirt. I, I've got to confess, I very much do like this shirt. Ah, Red Pill, what's up? Chad Greenstock, man. How you guys doing? How you guys doing? Hopefully the internet holds out. Praying, I'm praying, I'm Hey, the internet holds out. Uh, how you guys doing? Hopefully you guys have had a great week. Jack, are you there? Am I fucking still alive?
Johnny, what's up? Muted, I think. Or I'm muted. I don't know. It says we're still on live on YouTube. Are we still live on YouTube? Have you guys just watched me for the last couple minutes fumble around and say fuck that and all this shit? <laughs> Jack, you're muted if you can. I can't hear you if you're there. All it is. Can anybody hear me? Johnny? Jack? Yo. We are live, aren't we? Oh, I can't wait to go back and watch this. That's funny. It looks like it's not live on Zoom, funny enough. That live isn't gray, but live enough, I guess, because I just heard you echoing, so it must have been playing. Yeah, I, I'm, I just, like, refreshed my page, and your face was the first thing that came up. So, yeah, I don't know how. That thing glitched on my end. I even still on my computer. I'm on my phone now. I fucking switched over. The computer fucking quit. It said I disconnected from chat. Now I can see it on my computer, but I'm back. Can you hear me? No. I'm going to jump out and try to come back in again. (laughs) Man, you guys must have come in just in time enough to save this room. That's all I can think of. It wasn't us. Be right back. Johnny got here. He saved the day, Johnny. See you in a bit. So how you been, Jay? Life's treating me well. I just got to be patient when things come. How you doing? I saw the post the other day. RFP one year. It's got to be tough. It is a little tough. It is a little tough, but you know, you know what's sad is still today is also my daughter's birthday. So there's some ups and downs. You know, I lost my dad, and it's my daughter's birthday all the same age last year, but. Overall, I've been, I just tried to stay busy today, tried not to think about it. I couldn't go down and spend time with my daughter, so just kept busy. Just kept busy. Looking forward to hanging out, so got me, got me smiling through the day. Cheers, Johnny. I can't tell if Johnny's froze or what. I see you moving there. Yeah, I think Johnny's connections. He said uh, he's having a hard time. Well, that makes me Can you hear me at all? Kind of crazy. robot voice. Well, it makes me feel better that I'm not the only one having a little bit of internet problems tonight. <laughs> Yours has been the last few nights, though, I guess. Well, you know, 
it's the satellites fucking fucked up, man. My my main connection is fucked up. And I'm on I tried I'm on the phone right now. I've got I tried running off the frontier the last few nights. And uh it was every time I hit live, the damn thing, the connection disappears. Just like it did when I tried to go the first time tonight, man. You know, as soon as I went live, I was like, yes, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And it disappeared. I'm like, oh fuck, I'm not doing it. And then I tried again, and ultimately, here I am on my phone at Frontier Network. I don't know what it is. There it goes right now. I'm watching it because uh, the chat's on my uh, on the Frontier on the computer. I'm glad I didn't switch back. Um, I don't think Frontier Network's just not suited for the weekender traffic that's already up and flowing here in Michigan, man. <laughs> They're already headed up north, man. And once they come up north, I, the, the inner... The demand for the internet just cannot keep up through Frontier, I believe. <laughs> Hopefully, get back on that satellite tomorrow. He was supposed to be here today, but no, no such luck. So it looks like one of my earbuds is not working. Were you guys able to hear me before? Just no. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. This. Uh, You're good now, or you were, and then it got a little choppy there. I just want to say shout out to uh, my herbs. Now he got a restock, so get him now while you can, because he's probably going to sell yeah, out. Yeah, over there flashing. It's like there's something wrong with it or something. Yeah, and this one here is. Yeah, because he's already sold out all of his uh, extra. Those are already gone. So if you were looking to get any extra racks of any sort to, to dry in. My brother got one. Did he? I recommended right it to my, my blood fan. I recommend it to a lot of people. Uh, like Eagle said, I was a converted hater to a big fan i i took my words back jack i took my words back it wasn't hater it was skeptic you were a hard i was a skeptic skeptic not a hater i there were i made some of those comments though i, I at the beginning i was like man this thing's gonna destroy your terpenes like why would you rush it it's like you know you spend all this time being patient growing it you should be patient trying it patient curing it and then I did the side-by-sides. And I didn't just do a side-by-side -side hang dry against herbs now. I did hang dry in my normal tent setup versus Curador, which is 60-60 versus herbs now. So I had three. It was a pretty scientific setup, in my opinion. My traditional hang dry setup, the herbs now, and then the Curador. 14 days at 60-60, that's what a lot of people shoot for. Then jar cure for about a month. And then um, the other one, hang dry. 10 to 14 days in a tent between I can't get it as low as 60 to be honest so like if I'm lucky 65 to like 75 and then relative humidity like 50 to 60 in the tent I could usually get it about 55 is uh, where I think it's good for the hang dry but the herbs now just fucking fill it up set it forget it four and a half five days later if the stems are snapping I can jar it up 
it's just like then seven days after the jar you can smoke it right then but i think one week in the jar stick it in the cure door or any cold dark place and the bud's perfectly cured so total time is like 12 days from harvest to like beautifully cured smoke versus over a month for either of the other ones and the product was better than both so definitely a big fan i fill mine all the way up every time Ivan says, I, I prefer my herbs later. Yeah, that's fine, man. I, I don't have any gripe against anybody using whatever method they prefer. I'm just saying it works well and it's simple. Yeah, and he has data. He can grow 6% terpene flower. That's pretty fucking high. Not many people I know out there are growing 6% terpene flower. His herbs now dry with 6% terps. His hang dry at 60-60 got 4% turf. So it was an extra 2%. But when you're talking about 6% versus 4%, that's a big difference. And there's third parties that did lab tests too, like um, yes. growedeasy.com did lab tests and they found higher THC in all the herbs now and higher terpenes in one out of the two samples. So in three out of four cases, the herbs now had the better result. So I mean, it was worth me giving it a shot. And I actually got sent mine for free from a grower who I consult with and help him out with his grow for free. And he's like, oh, you helped me so much. And I love this device so much. I want you to try one as well. So he sent it to me. And sure enough, after three harvests doing the side by side by side, I just put every single plant through it now. It's like, that's the only way I'm growing. And I'll cure in the curador. I fucking love curador. Shout out to curador, 60 degrees. And 60% RH is a good way to store your bud. And yeah. they make a cool ass thing. And shout out to Mendo Dope. It's wrapped with the Mendo Dope skin. And I just saw they got some uh, new Method 7 glasses coming out. And the album is amazing. They fucking shouted Eagle out. That was fucking dope. So yeah. cheers to that. Yeah. I still can't believe that shit. Yeah. Again. Very honored. Very honored. Man, it's so weird to operate like this, man. It's I haven't I haven't ran like this and I don't know how long. It's super weird to run from the home. So I had a conversation with my lawyer the other day. And uh, because I didn't like the, I didn't like the outcome of the uh, court appointment or court date. And and I told him that either he needs to grow a pair of balls or he needs to grow some hair on his ball. And start biting back like a pit bull. I said, because the shit he's doing. How do you like it when you told him that? He, he kind of laughed. And I, I told him, I said, you know, if you put me in the courtroom, you know, shit's gonna go. It's gonna go really bad. I said. So I don't think you want me in there to start fucking mouthing off the way I've done it, because I'll I'll lay them all out and put them right into fucking line. You know. I said this is your job, so you're getting paid to do. I said you need to grow some hair on your balls, 
and start biting the fuck out of these other attorneys. I says, every time they give you a hoop for us to jump through, you give them 10. You know? I said, what the hell are you doing? Going in there and asking, you got another hoop for me? You got a hoop to jump through? I said, man, I'm not, I'm not into circus play here. I'm not a circus animal, and I don't do hoops. Legal shit just gets expensive. The more hoops that each other make each other jump through, it just becomes the fight of money. So I, I, I talked to my doctor today, and I told him what I told him, and he started, he almost fell out of his chair laughing. Because he said, well, I've never heard anybody talk to their lawyer like that. I said, well, shit, he's not doing his job. So fuck yeah, I'm going to tell him like that. And then he says, well, he, he says, what you need to do from, from now on is call him every week. So I'll be, I'll be contacting him every week to have a conversation with him. Say, hey, what's the plan? What's the next plan of action? He might get tired of that. <clears throat> but doctor said, squeaky wheel, he gets out of oil every time. I was just about to say that. So I'm gonna become a I'm gonna become a screeching train coming to a halt. That's some, that's the noisy shit right there. I can tell you that right now. I live right by a train. I hear it every fucking day. Yeah. Woo woo. But um, yeah, the other day, man, I had I seen four doctors in one day. I. When I got home, I was, I was like hamburger, man. I dropped out real quick. Can you well, hear the fans? How's, how's my audio? It's good. If I leave my mic open. Is it it's like good. obnoxious with the fans? No, we can't hear it. It is it's not obnoxious. Actually, Zoom does, like you said, it, it does a great job, even when you're just wearing headphones, the technology is pretty fucking great with the sound canceling. It looks weird every time I reach out, I'm like, <laughs> trying to mute myself. Why can't you mute you? It'd be nice if you could just like tap your earbud when you wanted to mute, you know what I mean? Versus trying to reach out with your phone or some shit. Yeah. That would be good. We look like yeah. So I think my transmission. What's that? I said we look like we're on like James Bond or something like Eagle. Uh, What are you smoking (laughs) over? Over. Yeah, I guess that's not much better, is it? (laughs) I was going to say because I have that tap to talk, so like I'm going to mute myself. Oh, it says tap to speak and then it says done speaking so when i tap it it'll make me stop right that's the towel mode but that's no fun because then i can't see you guys i want to see when johnny pulls out some roots out of the sand the johnny tech I could do that right now. I got one. I got one. 
I can check it right now. I can do that. We'll see if your connection will hold up. Right? Man, it's been weird not hanging out at night the last few nights. I've got a lot of shit done. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, we're having a lot of... Uh... So I can get a cup to put it in so I have something to put it in. Uh, I, think I have one out here. That'll work. Water. Good thing I came in here. This thing's full. That needs to be shut off. Sorry about that. You're you're seeing my uh, my water. It's the bathroom. We got everything set up, you know. <laughs> All right. Let's take a look at this thing here. Let's see if I can set this up. Yeah, I don't think I can do that. I'll have to hold it. See if we can do it. All right. This one here, I just stabbed in there a little while back. And it's been, oh, she's got resistance. She's got roots for sure. We got the still frame right now. I can see a little cut with the tag and the sand. Oh, there you go. Can you see that? Yep, yep, we can. I actually think that's like a great length to go into a cup right there. That looks beautiful. I think when they start getting longer than that, take a little bit of they don't take off as well. I think that's a great time to transplant out. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. And I was thinking that here pretty soon that it was going to have to happen. Well, that's just it's dry. I'm going to do something better for that. I'm going to go get some water. I'll leave you guys there looking at that real quick. I'm going to get me some water to put in the top of the cup so it's not dry when I put it in there. Breaking out the fork now instead of the spoon, I see. Yeah, the fork works better. I gotta say, it uh, it gets down in there. It doesn't. Uh, it gives me a little bit better of uh, a grip on what's going on. I'm, I'm a fan of the uh, household implements being used in the garden. I, uh, you I'm know, coming. I'm all about, I'm all about simplicity. You know what I'm saying you want to complete the trio for your uh, silverware being used in the garden you can use a butter knife when you're transplanting out of the solo cup and use it around the outside of the cup you kind of like knife the edge and it helps it just slip <laughs> out because <laughs> i will say right. the solo cup i have this the easy swap pot solo cup size and versus the actual solo cup of soil the amount of soil it holds and just like the shoes and everything i actually preferred the solo cup like side by side the plant was larger grew a little faster and this is like three or four runs in a row now i'm seeing that so i didn't i only bought one of the easy swap pot solo cup thankfully because i was like oh i'll test it out and see if i like it 
and I love their one gallon, which is actually like a two gallon, but their solo cup, I think it's uh, a little too small or it's just not as good as an actual solo cup in my experience so far. You got the whole setup right there. Sorry, go ahead, Eagle. Oh, I'm, I was going to chime in. I wasn't sure if I was muted or not. There. But uh, now I'm squirrel. Now I'm squirrel, Jack. Now I'm squirrel. We're talking about it's a larger solar cup or what? Or a smaller They're about one. the same size. It's just yeah, a regular so solo cup. That, that, that lady right there, she's trying people i've seen a lot of people taking advantage of this uh the sandings to go about it a lot more uh a lot more production you know putting more more sand in it a lot more you know seedlings it's, it's awesome man i love seeing all this going on I love seeing your success with all those clones being rooted in just sand and then throwing them in the solo cup with a little bit of soil and keeping your life simple. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's real simple, you know, and that thing there, I just throw a little bit of soil on the top of it right there. So that sets it into place more or less holds it better. She's ready, ready to rock and roll. I do is wait for her to do what she's going to do next. Yeah, I've got I get too many things going on here. Look at this shit. My barber has a hard time with clones. He got an oxycloner, and even though I've taught him all the ways to have success, he just never. He's gotten a few successful runs through it, but I think that this would be a much easier tech for him. Just sand tech, Johnny tech. Definitely, and this here is one of the easiest ways. To uh, to do a clone, I mean, there's there's no reason that a person couldn't get proficient at cloning. I mean, that's just the way I see it. Do you use because aloe that I'm you grow outside or inside? Oh, I use my own aloe. That's in Oh, you cut out. Yeah, I heard you use your right there. I got a little baby. Oh, it's indoor. Nice. Yeah. yeah. As you say, I feel like it might yeah, grow pretty right well. And, so and whenever I need some of that, I, I just snap off a piece. Oh. You know? Yep. Yeah, I'm sure it would grow good outside. I should probably. It grows well here in California. Those, uh, I got a bunch of seeds. Up. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna check. I'll, I'll do a. I'll do a test on my bled right here too at the same time, because I don't know how this is doing. It doesn't look too healthy right now, as far as the way she looks. Can you guys see that? I've got pretty much a still here, man. It's been real choppy on my end. Yeah, I'm just seeing the aloe plant. It doesn't look real healthy. You know what I'm saying? Okay, let me let me pull away. Can you guys see now? Uh, not on my end. Oh, wow. 
It just went yeah. black for me. Yeah, mine's real choppy. Okay. I'm still well, looking at the animal plant. Uh, oh, it's moving. Oh, my, my, my bud's got resistance. So I will uh, see if I can turn this on. Sorry about that, guys. All right, you see it? I'm still uh, looking at it still. Oh, Jake's got the connection. <laughs> Jake's got the connection over there. He's all fucking just smooth and shit here. <laughs> Man, this is this is crazy. Yeah, this is so. I did speak with uh, Farmer Willie or Charlie's Dude. Farm 420 the other day. And, uh, hopefully, oh, we'll yeah. be hearing from him on the show again here soon. Can you guys, do you guys got a picture of this? I see some roots and a bud. Hell yeah. Nice. You remember that bud? Remember that bud I stepped in there? Look at the roots on that baby. That's a full-on bud that was just about ready ago. to be. So much quicker of a way to revenge. Just like that. I'm telling you. So man, much less space than that. Is that. Carcass like that. And it's functionally I mean, that's, just that's as good. Amazing, you're really just uh, trying to get a cut off of it. Really. Yeah. So I mean that's that's perfect, man. It's so actually I'm gonna even better. A one gallon. I mean, because is that so is that awesome space. or what? I mean, and this one here, I know it's I know it's it's already it's got resistance not pulling out, so it's got roots down below that too, and that's been in there for since uh, the first. So it's 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 well rooted, is what I'm saying. This guy here, he was in there on the. Uh, I put him on the 420. That one there, I let him sit in there quite quite a while longer, just because I wanted to make sure that it was going to actually do do the rooting. You know, I'm going to go out and get me a one gallon container to put that baby into. So. Cool. Did you say what you're smoking on, Evil? Yes. I am smoking on some Twisted TK. I don't know why I keep fucking leaning into the microphone like I'm actually using the microphone tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. This is too weird. I still keep using the camera and the microphone. Like the fucking... That's what I'm using. And I realized I'm fucking talking into the phone. Uh, it's crazy. I also got the new shirts, though. I, what do you? I, I'm stoked about getting that silvers. He's gonna love it when he gets his. They look good. So, I like the variety of colors. Oh man, I've got colors. I've got colors, Jack. I've got colors. <laughs> For the the color man. Like well, I got, well, the rainbow. I love fucking the fact that you know 
Oh, they're just giving it away. So, yeah, like one here, gray one, like pot leaf on bag, American pot leaf. Got a shiny white one here with like tie dye pot, pot leaf on the back. Oh, I like that. That's cool. I like that pot leaf. That's uh, nice. That's a nice design. This version of the shirt with like the little tag on the front the one? and that on the back. So, what do you guys think? You guys prefer this on the front? Like I've got on, or like with the little guy on the front and then on the back, or just this on the front, nothing on the back. I what think guys' the, opinion on that. I like the, uh, I like all of them to be perfectly honest. But I think the little one on the front with the leaf on the back was cool, and I like the one that you're wearing right now. Just the loud, bright safety meeting orange and safety meeting yellow with the. Uh, Logo right up front. Yeah, I kind of. Like yeah, I also like one. the logo on the back. Yeah, logo yeah, on the front. Yeah, that looks good. Logo on. Oh, nice! You got I the like, combo. I like that one. Let me see the front of that. This one's got like the leaf on the front, like yeah. a lot of them got. Then the plain, the plain J, or the you know the just the drawing. I like the drawing. I still would like some yellow ones just like that, with this on the back, and then that design up here as well. You know what I mean? Matching on that. And then got some blue. Some blue, blue. Letting red pill in. Oh, hold on, guys. Oh, there we go. All right. And we got the blue version with like a little purple on the back with a little Eagle Gardens, which uh, I think Dirt Road Dude got one of these versions, but uh, theirs were white. Him and the missus. It was a white version of that. And then there may, may, for a very, very, very special few, I might get some of like these, like a cotton with like the, like an embroidered like emblem on the side, not just like a regular one, but like an embroidered version. So. I don't know. I don't know. Just stuff I'm fucking around with, I guess. Eagle, I think they all look great, but Only I think uh, you got two backup connections now, and <laughs> I was about to fall asleep before you went live, so I'm going to say peace out. Cheers. Eagle, thank you so much for having me. Red Pill, good to see you. Donnie, Canacy, great talking to you as always. Sorry about everybody's connection tonight. I might hang out in the chat for a little bit before I actually uh, fade off for the night. But have a great one, everybody. See you all in the next one. What's up, Johnny? Peace, uh, Jay. Jack. Peace and love, always. Yeah. Holy brother. Thank you. What up, Red Pale? Hey, uh, I'm in a, I'm in a little guy up here. T-shirt guy. My uh, old brew and grow where I used to get all my growing supply. You know, utility. No, utilities. That's where I used to go, and they have. I have a shirt. It's got the little Brew and Grow logo up on here, and then the back of the shirt is the big logo. That's the kind of style I like. That's the one you like. Mm -hmm. 
they're all good. Can't really go wrong, but I, that's my certain flavor. I like, I like the little bit subdued, just a smaller logo on the front and then whatever's behind me. That's what people get to stare at. I actually got some cups too. Not ready to do some giveaways. I still got to catch up some giveaways. Before I do more giveaways. But I actually got some cups. Hold on, let me grab some cups. I got a bunch more shit coming too. So like the last round of cups had the show logo on it. Yay. Huh? But the, they had the the cannabis leaf on the back. These guys, these guys got the like the the doobie burning on the back with the, the show logo. Or again with a different uh different duber and then again one other version with uh, a different joint on there but uh cool things cool things you got any uh, got any hats you're working on i've actually thought about the hats man i gotta put together a red pill uh package yet so yeah, I forgot about your red pill. Not I, well, I, have, I haven't sent you my info, so that's my bad. Here's Mr. Bingus. I would love to get Bingus a, a, a coffee cup. He seems like a coffee guy. I bet you you'd put a coffee cup to good use, my friend. How hey, you doing? Good, man. I have a cup every morning. Fresh ground French roast. I do it right. I only have one cup, though, because other than that, it kind of gets to me during the day. But I just like the taste with the morning bong hit. It's awesome. How you guys doing? Red, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Hanging in there. Eagle had a little connectivity issue as he was flying past the sun tonight, I noticed. Oh, I've had more than a few. I've had more than a few. In the last couple of nights, I've been doing like the Zen approach, to be honest with you. <laughs> my, my main connection, I don't know what's up with the, the, the satellite connection. And my frontier connection just sucks ass. It just, as soon as I go live, man, it's like, wah, wah, wah. And instead of getting very frustrated like I would normally do and just try and try and try until I'm just fucking completely irritated. I just like last couple of nights I've gave it like three tries. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, my guess. In fact, and I'd like to take this time to go thank you, Jimmy Toucan, GMX OG, uh <laughs> some of the others that I've read Dr. Danko then uh that have been missed the last few nights because of internet connections and have been more than gracious enough to uh, reschedule and not be Jimmy Toucan, especially. This is two nights in a row. Last night made two nights in a row. I he, we, this is, It all started on his night. Nothing to do with Jimmy Toucan. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I, he he was nice enough to make another reschedule last night, and he shows up. And I'm like, man, I don't even 
think we should even try it. You know, I've tried like three times already. It was like 12 o'clock. I didn't even get his message. He texted me at 1130. We on, I got the message at 1150. I actually got the message at 1150. I'm like, son of a bitch, man. You know, here he is. Oh, yeah. So it's been a mess. It's been a mess. Yeah, but I'm glad, you know, people that have been patient, people that watch have been patient, you know, still come to hang out after many, many nights. Alexis was like, just give it a go from your phone tonight. Just, you know, all else fails. I think I think Sprint's got your back. So Your, your tracking know. device always is going to fail you. <laughs> <laughs> it don't miss a thing, does it? <laughs> you're right, you're, oh, fine, you're fine internet fuck that you know we'll we'll let we're readjusting your tv setter no they're readjusting the satellites and uh things are transforming into the new quantum financial system or whatever you know the, the latest uh underground story is and buy your nft garbage right <laughs> yeah like what is it vpn which I found out is owned by China. <laughs> yeah, make sure you it's send it for worthless me. is what it is, Bingus. It's fucking what? worthless. I've actually installed a new one. I'm actually got like it's not even like a steady one. It's like a renter almost from McGathy. It's supposed to be their top of their line VPN, un uncrackable, unfuckable. You know what I mean? It's just always the opposite. Wow, wow, wow. That's what I've gotten out of it so far. It hasn't been able to protect my shit from going down. I don't know. If they tell you it's good for you, back away. <laughs> You're right. That should have been the red flag. Top of the line. Step What's up, away. Jack? Sorry, I missed you up here, buddy. See him in the chat room. Yeah, man, I, I'm glad to see you back in action. I figured it was something. I mean, you, you're pretty consistent when it comes to Eagle Gardens and uh, talking fucking shit, I should say. Very consistent talking fucking shit. You're a good fucking shit talker, by the way. Just <laughs> nobody ever fucking told you. <laughs> you know, oh, I, I, wait a minute now, now, wait. You were on the other, uh, God dang it, the guy that you interviewed, uh, you were on his live stream. I saw it late. What's his Canemy. name? Canemy. Thank you. Yeah. That was great, dude. I love that. That was uh, it was a great interview. Uh, I like that guy. He's good. You, got you know, uh, it's so weird for me to be on the other side of that. For real. It is so, so uncomfortable. And it was funny because for one reason or another, uh, yesterday, it threw me uh the gr 420 uh grow room videos there uh their interview with me and kevin jodry yesterday and i started listening to it i'm like man i said all almost everything is i almost doubled up it's almost word for word i was like dude almost like i've got a script i was like, <laughs> i was listening to both they were eerily eerily similar uh Maybe a few things differently in there. Well, I, I, I noticed one thing. I slowly, very slowly, kind of 
release little things about me that I don't usually release. He got mm -hmm. he seemed to get a little bit out of me in that one, I guess. You, 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 you're leading the breadcrumbs to the prize, you know, and you got a long ways to go. So you don't want to small breadcrumbs for us little mice to follow. <laughs> you know, I like I was telling him too, man. I I always there's a few people that's tried to get me on. Mr. Westport has tried to get me on his show <laughs> over there. And I, I uh, nothing against him or nothing, but I did, I, I said, you know, I respectfully pass the, you know, the GR420 community videos, they freestyle. Ah, sorry. It kind of tagged along with Joe Dre on that one, hoping Hoping I would just be able to sit back and be quiet that day, but they, they, they coached me and kept me talking a little bit over there. But there's been a bunch of folks, you know, Boomies that threw me an invite, Terry Lee Lives that threw me an invite, and I, I always say no. I don't, I'm just gonna stay on my channel. You know, I don't want to be, you know, I don't know, crazy about doing interviews and all that shit. And I kind of makes kind of slid me in because he was like, it'll be a half hour. It'll just be a half hour. And I was like, oh, half hour? No problem. I can just banner for a half hour. And it ended up being almost like two hours. But if it, he tricked me with the half hour. And what it made me think of is, uh, <laughs> is, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank right now. He's like a motivational speaker. Uh, John Candy does a no, no, no. He's he's John yeah, he's Candy. the he's the runner. And, uh, um, pull, David, I believe David Goggins. Goggins, yes, yes, yes. He talks mm -hmm. about when uh, you know taking souls his attitude on taking souls. Uh, you know about not wanting to run and shit you know, every day and, you know, going out and doing what he's got to do. And he says a lot of the times, you know, when he doesn't want to go out there and do his run, he'll trick himself. Ah, I'll just go out and do a quick, quick two miles, you know, instead of the, the 20. And he says every time, you know, he tricks himself into doing the two, thinking he's going to do that quick run, eh, whatever. And then he gets out there and he starts into it. And he's like, you know, he gets warmed up and he's like, fuck this, I'm doing the 20. You know what I mean? That's almost the way I felt like yesterday when I did the interview. It was like, <laughs> yeah, I'll just do the quick 30, but it ended up being almost the marathon. Just get in the gym. Just get, get in the, the gym. Get in the gym. Right. You're going to pick up something. That's what you, we used to do. I used to train hard all the time. It was crazy. A lot of guys I trained with played professional sports. Most of them were dead because they took steroids. I never took, I never would take them. They used to bitch at me because they'd always have to drop their weight <laughs> for puny me, you know. But that's part of that game, though, man. I don't know what it is nowadays. I don't even watch pro sports anymore. There was a time I really enjoyed it, though. So when was it for you that you gave it up? Because I know there was a when I gave up. Well, not gave up on sports. I still love physical activity. Yeah. 
I still like to, you know, hit the bag and all that fun stuff. I like to stay very active. But when there was a point where I just like quit watching professional sports. And well, so I knew when was that for you? I knew a couple of guys that I went to high school with that were uh, professional football players. And wherever there's large money, there's corruption. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just, you know, so what flavor of corruption? Pick one, you know. Uh, and I would hear them. And plus the stuff they would have to do to get, I don't know. And now today, I mean, geez, it's just ridiculous, in my opinion. I like to watch college sports. I like, I even like to watch high school, high school games to really see some scrapping, you know, but the athletic aspect of it has been influenced by the money. And that's when I quit. When was that? Probably back in the eighties when I was training pretty heavily with these guys, I'd listen to them. And, the shit that they would do during the game, for the game, after the game. Money deals, side deals. It's just, you know, fuck that. <laughs> I could have, if I wanted to take steroids, I could have probably at least tried out, especially in football. But, chief, I wouldn't even have a neck. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I did that, I'd be dead by now for sure. So I'm glad I never did. Just want to give a quick shout out in honor. It's an honor to have Mr. Clack and Miss Cooper in chat tonight. Cheers. Cheers, man. Always an honor to see you in the chat or anywhere, to be honest with you. Dropping the knowledge. I was listening to, I want to make sure I get the, the, the correct title here. I've been boning up on my Audible lately, and I was thinking of old Coot yesterday as I listened to For Love of the Soil yesterday, and they were talking about yesterday uh, how important earthworms and earthworm castings and uh, uh, varicose, uh, I probably said that, varicom, I'm uh, stumbling there. For worm compost was Vermies? yeah. There you go. Vermicost <laughs> compact uh, compost. There was dung beetles and that to the soil, and you know explaining the differences and it's like underutilized. They were saying it up up there, and I thought about Kuda the whole every time. Every time they brought it up, I thought about this. So. Yeah. I think he's uh, got a good looking dog too. Listen, I only got to see it for a brief time on Instagram. I know he's not on there at the moment. So, but there's one picture I was looking at it and was looking at a picture of I took at my dog and I almost wanted to like take like a silhouette image and try to fit the two into each other to just have like a big bulldog face. <laughs> right, can you guys see me now? I, I can. 
You're, you're okay. not a bad-looking fellow. All right. Well, I was in and out all over the place, man. You guys were stationary, and I was moving around. I didn't know you guys could see me here. <laughs> you, know. you got to take some of those uh, tie-ins, make I, a little baby yeah. band, and tie it to your balloon. Yeah. Well, no, I talked to the uh, I talked to my phone company, and they said I needed new SIM cards, so it's it's jacked up somehow. So that's what they're saying. That's what's going on with my my phone. We'll see how. Have to do that tomorrow. So tomorrow, Canamink is going to be uh, having a, a smoke sesh at 7 p.m. on this on Zoom. I don't know if any guys seen that. That was kind of cool. I was thinking about hopping on there. How you doing, Bengus? Good, Johnny. Good to, good, to, good to see you, buddy. I, I noticed you were having trouble passing the sun as well. Your, your internet connection was a little breaking up. Yeah, very glitchy. Very glitchy. <laughs> <laughs> good to see that you made it. Finally seems to be working okay now. At least it looks like it. So yeah, so I I I, Trent, I I pulled those other two that I don't know if you'd even seen those or not, but I pulled the other two out and um, the other one that was just stabbed into the ground it was majorly overrooted. It was literally all across the base of that sand. So I ended up uh, breaking off a few roots when I pulled it out. Kind of wild. You're the, you're the reed edge uh, champion. Yeah, I, I'm surprised at how well that bug turned out. You know, so I guess when it starts to uh, starts to show a little yellow on it, that means it's producing roots. Usually, maybe. Okay. Most that was just a, That's just a guess. I, I didn't. I'd never seen that. You know, that's. I thought for sure it was not doing well, you know, by the way it looked. So that's an interesting thing. I didn't know that. So uh, look what I got. Mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, Micro Goon stopped by last night and dropped me off some mushrooms. We traded off some beans. We took some of the stuff that I had. I gave him some of my, uh, he gave me some of his. So he he uh, he said that he heard me talking about the fact that I haven't had an auto that works good. So he gave me an auto that's supposed to be a, a really fire one, which is called. Uh, Chemo Auto Fem. It's supposed to be a uh, an F8 by uh, Gas Reaper Genetics. So that'll be interesting. Let me give that one a try. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very uh, 
stone. I uh, had an accident in my garden where I had a key lime pie that uh, I didn't really, I, mean, I liked it, but it, it harmed and gave some pollen to my fruit gas, which I really liked. And uh, I got like three seeds and I planted a seed and I ran it. Oh my God. It's just, uh, these, you know, that's what I'm saying. Well, most of the, most of the good shit's happened by accident in my garden. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm so it's, it, it's, uh, it's really gassy. I think it's kind of piney lime. My son said, it, he goes, did you open a bottle of uh, grape, grape soda? Because it smells like grape soda. Really? So <clears throat> I'm terrible at really discerning those types of things. But I took a few hits and went, holy fuck. And I looked at the, at the trikes and they were very amber. So I went, wow, okay. You let it go a little bit too long, which was only 63 days. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely got me going in the uh, couch lock position. <laughs> Where I really have to think about what I'm trying to fucking say and, you know, <laughs> make sure it's actually my lips are moving and things are coming out. But, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Until I get tired of that and then I'll run into another mistake that I made, hopefully. That's just as nice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I got some uh, that I'm running through right now that I got going through veg that were from an accident. That I'm looking right. forward to trying out. It's we think we know what we're doing. <laughs> we don't know. It's like <laughs> I know I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. Some people know what they're doing. Probably not me. I do grow. I have done it a lot, but it's it genetics really interests me because of the variations and the different expressions and you can talk about wormholes I mean geez you can go down so many avenues it's endless and there's no and that's why it interests me there's no way you're gonna like conquer anything I mean you may learn a few things along the journey right and if you fuck up enough you might even make a good mistake you know <laughs> but you didn't realize Oops, that worked. Yeah, <laughs> I've got about two or three of those. But see, that's how much I try, you know. I keep trying and trying and trying. You throw enough spaghetti on the wall, something sticks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm definitely not a breeder. I wouldn't. Well, I, would, I, 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 took, uh, I took the two that DOA sent me, which is uh, truffle trees which ended up being a male. He only sent me one being of each. And the uh, the other one was canal breath. And that one there ended up being a female. So I went ahead and I took clones off the, the canal breath and then I, I put the two together. And I, so I got I got that one in, in flower right now and it's producing the seeds. Cool. Which is kind of cool. I'm I'm excited to 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 see how she turns out. 
it's nice when you get a male that you can, that really exhibits traits that are desirable. Well, I don't know if it dis it distributed traits that were really desirable or not, but it was very tall. It had it had some nice broad leaves on it, so I I thought that was good, you know. And then um, at the same time, it was something the DOA sent, so I wanted to uh, to prolong it. You know what I'm saying? So what I have learned is it's it appears that the more dominant genetics will be more prevalent. You know what I mean? Like if you, like I've had that like a male, I'm like ah, well it's pollen. Let's see what happens, right? And uh, you get regular seeds, but the good ones seem to favor the, the more dominant genetics. So when you have what you consider a good one, like a male dominant good one, does it put out more fat seeds or does it put out, <clears throat> I mean, is question. there any difference? Is there any difference in the size of seeds or the looks or? I think, I don't know, for me, in my experience, again, I don't really know the answer to that. When I do, I've done a couple outdoor where they got really big and the seeds were way bigger. <laughs> okay, because the buds were, I mean, everything was big. Uh, indoors, the seeds seem to be smaller, although some seeds seem to be more plump. Well, other times you get really small seeds. So it, again, it, yeah. just, it depends. Well, I've noticed that on different breeds that they'll have different sized seeds. Have you noticed that as well, Eagle, as far as different strains would have a, like a different size of a bean? And and does it even matter as far as the size of the bean? I've found that almost always the Tevas have a smaller seed because they seem to have a fatter bean. I mean, anybody agree with that? I mean, I've seen that a lot in my experience. That the sativas tend to have a smaller size seed than it does their high growth. But uh, that's just my my experience. So I guess I guess that would go with the narrow leaves of the sativa. It have the skinny seeds. Smaller skinny leaves, seeds. little seeds. Makes sense. Uh, it's I, that's a good question. I don't I don't really I can only say what I've experienced. And it just seems like if you have a bigger plant, you're gonna have bigger, you have a bigger pod, you have a bigger seed. Well, when you were talking about that that outdoor plant, you had large seeds on that. Was that a longer running no. uh, duration no. of flower? No? No. It was just a larger bud, so it had larger just a beans bigger, on it. Bigger plant, it was huge. It was like 12 feet tall. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's big, yeah. So, big. <clears throat> and it ended up with seeds. And because I think it had some herms in it. This is a long time ago. I don't even know what the strains back then were a little like I think it was probably a bag seed. But uh, the seeds were nice and big. Uh, bigger, I'd say about twice the size of your of the standard seeds that I would see. Now it could have been genetic, it could have been the size of the plant. I don't know. I really don't know. I do know that I've had really tiny seeds that have grown huge right yeah, yeah. regular size seeds that grow small so it's like 
it's not i think again it it has to do more with no genetics. i think uh, one thing to it is this is to be to, uh, determined information to to yet be studied I'll, i'm fine with doing the projects i know other people that are but uh i've always been impressed with seeds that i saw skunk man sam show I shouldn't have even said who I saw it from, but I did see someone show seeds that side by side, there's a, you know, like they'll just show and tell demonstration. He had one variety of seed that eight seeds equals one gram. And then next to it, he had another variety of 8,000 seeds that equals one gram. There's the difference of how small cannabis seeds can be, how fat a cannabis seed could be. Now, wow. my theory is, if you weigh the seeds, if you either do single seed weight or you do like just say a round number like 100 grams, like say the fewest amount of seeds that weighs up 100 grams, say you find a variety, 87 seeds weigh 100 grams. You grow those out and then you get seeds from that next generation and then you only grow the heaviest seeds. And then you keep doing that until the seeds get heavier and heavier to the point where, you know, six or eight seeds equals a gram or see if you can push it even further than that and have one giant fruit. Maybe you like get cannabis to basically like evolve into other plants it's related to other different like fruit trees that, you know, grow a fruit with a little stone seed, you know, like a the stone fruits it's related to it's a fleshy fruit on the outside and a big ass seed in the middle maybe you so can do select selected well what i'd be talking about would be like fast forwarding evolution like you know way faster than it normally would happen but my theory would be that you could do that through selective breeding yeah i don't know how long that would take i, I would even say it's even crazier and it wouldn't Surprise me if it takes less than like seven to 10 years, less than a decade, I would say. If someone was that committed to a breeding project of just growing generations of seeds from the fattest seeds and then ongoing and ongoing, maybe there's a wall that you hit, but something tells me that there's not. And even after the point that you're growing <laughs> eight that weigh one gram, then you're pushing it. You'll get to a point where you're growing one seed that weighs a gram. And then you're growing seeds that weigh more than a gram. You get what I'm saying? Shouldn't be a, a wall that you hit. What does everyone else think? <laughs> Let me just say, wow, that would be incredible. Seed that weighs that much. Mm -hmm. Now they, in China, it's a variety that they use for fish bait and just like snack food. What's up, Cascadian? Cascadian Grow, how are you, sir? Hey, guys. Can you um, hear me? Yeah. You got, you got anything to offer on our, our bean talk? Well, I hopped on here because I got a theory about these seed sizes and such. So I thought nice. I'd hop on here and see if you guys think I'm crazy or see if I see the lights turn on in your guys' heads here. Wait, you're going you're gonna to double whatever I said was just whatever level of craziness? <laughs> <laughs> in my experience um hang on here there we go in my experience um seeds from 
So I'll just use a couple of uh, examples here. We got, say, uh, a Hindu Kush and a Thai. Let's go uh, uh, land races here. Um, Hindu Kush seeds compared to Thai seeds are going to be larger. The Hindu Kush will be larger than the Thai seed. Um, has to do with the climate the seed is made in. So the climate the seed comes from. Um, Afghanistan, Pakistan reminds me a lot of Eastern Washington, Eastern Oregon. And in those types of climates, you have a lot of moisture arriving in the off season. You have no rainfall essentially during the growing periods. And that means soil moisture is at a peak during what we would call winter. Um, and there's a, a gradient from wet to dry that takes place from say Christmas to 4th of July. A seed in that sort of a situation. So I, I can tie this into seed size and I can tie this into um, like plant expression. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do both here at the same time. So you end up with a seed in this sort of situation, call it maybe dry land farming, but not quite because they irrigate. Some guys don't get to irrigate, they don't have water, so it holds even more true. You have a seed that you put in the soil. Soil's over the seed. The seed's gonna start growing and it's gonna start pushing the root. The sun's gonna come out from winter and start to dry the soil down. It's going to start at the top and start drying the soil down because it's baking the soil. There's no rain to replace the water lost. And you have the seed. The seed has to outpace the drying of the soil or it's going to die. If the seed doesn't stay in the water table, no more seed. So you end up with a larger seed that has a larger energy store to grow faster in the beginning, the roots, not the plant, but the root, or not the, not the shoots, but the roots, because mm -hmm. it has to beat the drying of the soil. Mm -hmm. uh, contrast that to something in a more tropical climate. They don't have the same dry period. They get scattered rain all year round. So they don't need the same amount of energy reserve to try to outpace the dry, the dry down of the soil. Um, they get relief from sporadic rainfall. So they still have the need to grow, but it's not such a pressure, meaning that they don't have to select for larger seeds because it's not as crucial this is doubled up by the fact that what we would call an indica or a hindu kush is going to have fatter leaves 
to shade the base of the plant more effectively to slow down evaporation from the soil but also to catch the evaporation that does occur and create a microclimate between the undersides of the leaves and the soil that wants to create this moist microclimate where it can hopefully condense moisture and put it back on the soil surface. It makes its own little greenhouse. Right. Contrast like that, that. To, a, to a a more tropical sativa plant. It has thinner leaves because it has an excess amount of water and it needs additional airflow to not mold, to not have fungal pathogens, to not have the issues that come along with that. So you find thinner leaves, you find longer internodes, and you find a smaller seed. It doesn't, it's got too much water. It's the other end of the spectrum. Um, that's one theory to why the internodes are longer, the leaves are thinner, but the seeds are smaller. And if you took that small seed and you put it in that dry climate and it couldn't beat the dry down, you have selected against that seed. If you put that small seed that makes thin leaves in that same climate and it happens to stay ahead of the dry down, it doesn't have the same microclimate. It's going to drive the soil still going to dry faster and it's going to have more issues because as the soil dries, you lose the ability for um, elements to move through the soil. Elements, elements can't move. Nutrition can't move through dry soil. Um, which also, so that's also why you'll find a thicker wax layer on something like a Hindu Kush is also to slow down evaporation from the plant, protect from the UV rays because it's in this drier climate, doesn't have all this protection. It all, it all seems to fit for me. That's uh, yeah. There's there's a couple of things I noticed. Like you said when you, it expresses itself in more than just the size of the seed, <clears throat> and I've had that too, where I've had waxy coating to a lot of different varieties, and then I've had one time one-off experience where I grew something that was a Laos, uh, a Hawaiian Laos cross, so two pretty equatorially wet regions. And that had, uh, the botany term is pelosa, but it's thin hair-like trichomes that cover the foliage of the plant. So the whole plant stems was like a pipe cleaner. The leaves were like velvet, tops and bottoms of them. I don't know wow. if anyone's ever experienced that, but that was the only variety I've ever found that expression in. I've seen it in other plants. And that is another... Um mechanism for causing moisture to um, congregate those little yeah. hairs give moisture places to hold on to and you end up finding water droplets enough water droplets connect and they run down the stem yeah yeah so am yeah. i crazy what do you guys what do you guys no, I, I followed along with all that i really like that because that also kind of not just uh, then you know not being wise to that and then selecting for that but the environment kind of being the dictator whether you're going to even notice that expression or not uh, that makes me think because wherever this because the china seeds were the ones that were fat the ones that skunk man sandwiched them and china's the one instance where industrial or hemp that's 
very low THC or cannabinoids and more dedicated towards, uh, excuse me, seed and, and uh, fiber production, it's broadleaf uh, opposed to everywhere else in the world where there's seed and fiber producing hemp strains are narrow leaf. So that wide leaf and like you're saying that energy and it, it has to be, I don't know if it's grown like in the more deserty regions of uh, China, but that would make more sense if it has to have a giant ass taproot to find water. And then uh, at the same time, it's you know a low THC or low cannabinoid pr producing um, seed and fiber producing plant, but it, the expression or the morphology, morphology of the leaves is, isn't at all like a thin leaf sativa or like the Eastern European varieties. Right. So hemp, traditional hemp cultivars are a little bit different ball game because they, you've got to consider that they're, um, for lack of a better term, they're man-made. They're uh, selected for for a long time now. Uh, and they're grown a lot like corn. If you know anything about how corn's produced, they're, they're planted close together. Yep. And the concept with hemp is they want them to grow straight up. They don't want any side branches. They just want one long ass stalk. Mm -hmm. So they plant them really close. So hemp seeds are large because they're competing with their neighbors. Uh, they need every possible benefit over the next one to grow taller than the, the next one, to get taller, to get bigger, faster, to outcompete their friends. Um, so I think we've kind of selected for that. And that's another thing where it kind of breaks down when you take, um, so cannabis is not native to the new world. So when you bring cannabis to the new world, I seen a couple, like Coot was saying in chat that he's never seen seeds bigger than the Oaxacan. I would estimate just based on seed size and, and believing him for his word that that Oaxacan's got a good amount of something from a dry land climate in it, whether it's a, a Kush or Morocco or Uzbeki or, 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 um, I would bet that that's buried inside the sativa genetics of the Oaxacan. And then over time they selected for t sativa expressions, baseball bat type buds mm. and, and things like that. Uh, but it kind of breaks down when you start talking new world varieties, because we have to figure out where they came from. We have to figure out the climate that they came from, because that's the genetics that they brought with them. And our selection processes so far are not strategic nor uh, thorough enough to sort seed size <clears throat> out uh, from the stock that we've brought over and just muddled in the new world. So you know, kind of, go ahead. I like your theory. When, when you uh, mentioned Oaxacan, I think it was back, we, we used to get a lot of Oaxacan uh, back in the old days. And that was probably yep. the seeds that I planted to get those large beans. So, and what you're saying, basically being environmental, I mean, if you know the environment that creates large seeds, Perhaps you could influence a plant that's not from that environment over time to adopt those expressions. I don't know. I, that would probably be the only way you could change a 
genetic expression is the environment to survive over a long period of time they would have to adapt fairly rapidly and being a hardy you know fruit bearing plant like cannabis they, they would do that so i could kind of see if if you want large seeds but what i'm learning is it really doesn't matter if they're small large or whatever they they're going to express in their unique way and varieties you know what i mean what what i the way i think of it is i'm thinking of it as a, a different kind of door to open and to me i don't see a you know like i'm saying like a, a very long road to go down evolution by just upping the thc amount right plants not going to just we're not going to turn around one day and plant some unrecognizable plant that i'm saying has like fruit on it but maybe there's another door to open because less people are um uh, you know they're not you know uh, whatever content on doing this but you know i'm just saying that it's a different way to you know we see a lot of different weird ass expressions that basically basically for us are mutants in cannabis but we don't know why the genes are expressing them themselves that way so same thing as i'm but I, so let me let me dive a little deeper just on like why this why this matters or why I even bothered to think about this. Um, I don't know if you guys have realized it yet, but legalization is upon us. Um, it's coming swiftly. They're gonna the game is gonna change, and hopefully, eventually. I don't imagine immediately, but eventually, we'll get to a point where we have the ability to create regional heirlooms. Um, we should have, we should have Northern Cali varieties. We should have Oregon varieties. We should have Colorado varieties. We should have Oklahoma varieties. We should have New York varieties where you just take guess, a seed and throw it outside and it just grows. You don't have that's to. No, that's, you know, this is a thing where I, I go in between things I follow in the cannabis community and then, places where I go outside the cannabis, cannabis community to get answers to the cannabis questions I was looking for. A lot of that was just straight up people growing raised bed gardens for vegetables. This was before a lot of people went on the whole no-till or living soil kick for cannabis. So I got to learn a lot a bit from there. And uh, the... Um, Sorry. You're all right. Squirreling out. Give me back. Cascadian. What was the last thing you said? I was talking about how we're going to have regional cultivars. Where I was going was oh, Okay. There. Thank you. Thank you very yep. much. Very simple thing. I don't know why I lost it. But everywhere else, the people that learn how to plant, when they plant, and the seeds to grow in their environment, it's all done by zoning. Like you're like, I'm in a 7A zone, or I'm in a 3B zone. So that's gonna eventually, I, I just, I, I see it very similar to when you just go to actual plant nurseries and plant tags tell you, you know, 60 to 90 days maturation or, you know, the name of the plant and what to expect and how much it yields and like the very simple things that really seems like we're far behind on. But I'm with you on that too, where it's gonna be so narrowed down that 
in the last point that everyone's carried on, you know, X amount of time that people have been carrying on work to do this and however X amount of time takes for breeders to really, you know, buckle this shit down. Someone, some generation is going to get lucky enough to be able to just go to a catalog and pick the best strains to grow in their backyard or on their property, whatever. What, what right. Cascadian like- Grown is getting at, though, I think, let me just jump in, is this is something that naturally would happen to me. I mean, once it becomes released, all right, over time, naturally, certain regions are going to adopt, especially outdoors, certain varieties that will flourish. And so it's, it's like coming full circle, right, from where it was to when man jumped in and fucked it all up. Well, there, that, that kind of makes me think of another question. And I, I would really like to know the now history. My, now, um, before, is that kind of where you're leading to, Cascadia? I'm sorry, Greg. So where, where I was going was that eventually seed size is going to matter when we develop regional cultivars, because you're going to find, like I mentioned, you're going to find the better, the better plants in a... So think of the whole future and the fact that water might become more scarce. Um, irrigation might become more difficult. Aquifers might become more drained. Pampering your plants might not be what we know it to be now. Um, Dryland farming might become more crucial across all aspects of life, not just barley or wheat or the grains that we eat. Um, I, I can see a future for cannabis where plants that do really well in Eastern Washington, Eastern Oregon, most of Cali, have larger seeds because they have to beat the impending dry season where seeds grown in say Florida are probably going to inherently be smaller. This is, this is a, it it requires you to think of a cultural shift though. It requires you to think of not the interference, not the, yeah, we have a constant interference in our, cultivating techniques right now because we pamper the hell out of these seeds but if you go to a more traditional farming method where they don't pamper the shit out of their seeds well, that's i mean it's a different that's why i meant about a different door because it's something that a lot of people aren't even that that's not what they're motivated by and then when you're talking about more real world shit let's say you don't have a damn choice and the only thing you can do is see what works for you in that kind of situation where let's not even call let's not even say it's like a large-scale agricultural agriculture thing it almost made me think when you're like oh the water is going to be scarce my mind immediately went to dystopian future and then the only people are going to be able to have weed to smoke are the can have you know the people that are growing varieties that can thrive wherever they're growing them so well, as goes the direction of mankind, so they grow the plant. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, let's be, be honest. If we allow uh, things to continue that are not natural and not, not only just for cannabis, but for the world in general, all right, the plant's going to have to take a different direction. But that's going to all, see, that's where not adhering to the natural methodologies, methodology, 
methodologies. Is that even a word? All right. Is it, I'm not adhering to the way that things should be done to make everybody win-win, you know, like the plant and people living together and not, you know, trashing. You know, like when you talk about lack of water, when you talk about destroying aquifers, you're destroying the mother that is growing all of everything. So then it's just a rapid uh, advancement to see who can grab hey, what's left that mother has to offer. At the, at the same time, I do have a video I've meant to share with a lot of you guys. Uh, have you guys seen in China, they're uh, turning deserts into forests now? They're going permaculture and they're doing it with like tens of thousands of acres of desert. Cool. They, they, they planted like I think three million or something trees like in last year or something. And they're do it, they do it like in a checkerboard, uh, you know, checkers type pattern and it stops. You wouldn't do it like, you know, like this way. You wouldn't just scroll across because the desert dunes blow into the what the work you're trying to do and it fucks it all up. So they do these long crisscross patterns of lines through the, the desert and it's working really good. There's a guy with one leg out there doing it, hobbling around with one leg, planting hundreds of thousands of trees. I'll bet he's not doing that on his own, on his own will. <laughs> yeah, they got, they got, what you don't see is right behind them. They zoom out. It's a, it's a cropped picture. You zoom out and there's a guy, the slave and a whip and he's slapping them. No, but. Yeah, if it's good for you. <laughs> he's like, you want to lose another leg? Right. That's what you don't know is that's how he lost the first leg. He was, he yeah. was a dragon ass one day. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting too, though, Cascadian Grow. I really uh, enjoy your thinking on this because it lends more to a natural aspect. Well, I, I enjoy it because I, I like to think that uh, you, you thought more, basically thought more in depth into it than I did. And I basically think that's cool because it's a hypothesis. But then when more people kind of talk about it and they think the same thing, it makes maybe you use the word crazy. I feel less crazy now for thinking that. And like further, I said, I, further down the wormhole. Just out of curiosity, is there any, has there been any correlation established between seed size and root depth or tap root strength or plant vigor? Um, just because like, I'm just thinking of like a mustard seed, like the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds out there and, and the mustard plant can grow to be like a freaking tree, you know what I mean? So, and it grows very, very rapidly. So I'm just wondering what correlation there is between seed size and any of those plant, you know, characteristics, you know what I mean? Do you know so where mustard, the seed, I think. Do you know where mustard's indigenous to? I, I'm, I don't know, so I'm asking, I, I don't. Can I answer that? Yeah. Well, I know mustard is literally like one of the most prolific plants that's everywhere in any spot in between the Arctics, 60 north and 60 south. I follow a botany person. I follow a botany person. He goes a little overboard when he finds uh, mustard seeds and he gets all excited. But and I've heard him say that. So other... I don't know if that's a good correlation because mustard might be even more, like we're saying, uh, why do I want to use the word technologically, but more evolved than cannabis in that aspect that we just talked about. It's probably had a couple hundred thousand, maybe 
10, 20 million years of a head start more than cannabis in that regard. But yeah, maybe the same thing is true. Maybe there's small mustard seeds. Maybe there's large mustard seeds. Maybe the large mustard seeds come from more dry and they're more conducive to growing there and the smaller, littler ones more conducive to growing in humid varieties. But so the other complication to this though is when does mustard flower and when does mustard done? Because I don't, is mustard a full, is it a full season, full year? I, I even crop? think that's comparable to, I think that's the thing where cannabis is going down the road of because mustard, I think if you wanted to classify it as something that would be auto flowering, it starts, it sprouts, it grows flowers, it seeds, it auto seeds, because I think they're all uh, monaceous. So they self pollinate and then they're done, they grow more seeds. When does Unless mustard, I got, yeah. You know, don't quote mustard, me. I'm not a botanist now. When does mustard flower? So I, I I've, I've noticed a certain amount of time from germination, right? Eighty to eighty-five days. Yeah. So I'm going to drop out, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything that's being said here. I will be listening in the distance, but I got a couple things to do. Cheers. Good night, Mister Bingus. So Smiley, I've noticed with a lot of the herbs that I've grown, um, I'm trying to think, I was on a farm last year, I think it was 4th of July-ish, maybe not even 4th of July, mustard was in full bloom. Um, I, I, I've noticed with the herbs that there's, there's herbs that are very, they're some of the first plants to grow in the year. They come up when it's still cold outside. They don't need a, a warm soil temperature to germinate, but they, they come up soon. They come up quick and they flower early and they're gone. By the time you would be like picking a ripe tomato off a tomato plant, these plants are dead. They're done. They're over. They seeded. They've gone. They're back in the soil or the seeds are in the soil, depending on if they're perennial or annual. And those seeds tend to be smaller because they have this short cycle and then they just lay dormant for a long time. And then when they pop back up, they're relying on that same spring water I was talking about a little while ago. Um, I'm literally thinking out loud here, guys. So it's not like I, I got this all figured out. I'm trying to figure this out on the fly. Um, where I've noticed like, uh, let's see, that's too, that's a tree. Elderberries are a tree. Hawthorns are a tree. Cramp bark's a tree. What's a perennial mugwort? Artemisias. They're still cannabis seed sized. I mean, it's it's hard because we're talking like such small sizes. Um, but things that grow when the soil warms up, I'm, I'm trying to think of something that mimics cannabis that grows when the soil reaches 50 degrees and then fades out, fall colors, Halloween. Um, just blanking right now. I got to look into this some more. As far as is all the other- you know, uh, But I'm just wondering, is there any correlation to it? I mean, even like seed size bearing, a, you know, is a large seed always going to be a wider and narrow leaf plant even you know or is a small seed always 
just because you have a small cannabis seed, is that going to guarantee that it's going to be a wider, narrow leaf variety? You know what I mean? I think I think it would hold up. I've seen this hold up um, with with land races um, where it gets muddled is where I was talking about when things come to the new world or when we start making hybrids of different then it kind of, it doesn't break down, but then it starts to depend on the calyx size of the female because that justifies the seed size. It's got to have big enough hips. Right. Well, the seed matches the hips, is what, <laughs> you know. Um, narrow hips, little seed kind of thing. Um, which you're going to find smaller calyxes on mm-hmm. more traditionally tropical varieties. But I don't know how that relates to vigor in something like a hybrid. When you start to hybridize, I, I'm not sure. I, I know I can tell you for a fact it's going to hold up on, across the, the traditional well, land race region. If there's, if there's any truth to like how we define it and use the word hybrid vigor, then my theory would be if you did select for something that was some recessive trait and to basically complete opposite gene pools, say large seed size, large seeds from Oaxaca or large seeds from China. Those are two completely different plants in all regards. So my theory would be you'd cross those two. They'd stay large seeds because you're breeding towards that recessive gene. But then on top of that, you'd have hybrid bigger because you're making a brand new hybrid of two plants that are completely different and maybe, you know, they're, uh, maturation time they're different in their different types of cannabin uh cannabinoid profiles either by just you know how uh, you know amount of cannabinoids or spectrum of cannabinoids they're different in their terpene uh terpene profile you know whether they're selected for terpenes because people like the smell of it or maybe nature selected the terpenes because it's trying to make it more antimicrobial or you know uh pest you know natural pesticide so i would think if you breed those two things separately but just make one selection you know this could be for purple weed it could be for high thc you get to keep that gene and then you get the hybrid bigger on top of it i'm also thinking out loud too so i'm supposing that if I was to do something out here in the desert, I'd have a big old fat seed then. Well, you'd be in an environment where that that would express itself. You you know the the your environment is the brain basically. So you grow you could grow theoretically any old variety, right? Cross them together, and then your environment is going to dictate that one of those seeds, one out of two thousand seeds is going to be conducive to growing in your environment more than all the other ones. And say you get lucky, like you have two or three seeds that do that. So now you have a 50, 50% chance of if they're male or female, and you were to get that lucky or you bred them all down to those three or whatever, you got one male and two females of seeds that are heavier and bigger, not just in, but in uh, density, you know, it's a mass and density thing it can be a look real big but maybe it's airy on the inside doesn't weigh as much as a little bit smaller seed next to it so it has to be weight also attributed to just the mass of it and uh yeah i think that's what going by 
going by what you're saying there, it seems like every seed has the capability of. Yeah, that's what you find in this environment. If you could get rid of the interference that Bengus talked about, and let's say this was deschedulized, legalized, to where no one even cares if you're growing thousands or potentially millions of different, you know, different seeds, that's where you're going to be able to do it. Like, say you get, you actually get to have a breeding project where you have, I'm just going to say one male of one variety and four uh, females of another variety. You're gonna get a, a lot of seeds, just say 10,000 seeds. So now if you grow all 10,000 seeds, you literally get to see every roll of the dice of every genetic representation that's there, right? Any, and the more seeds, the more genetic representations are there. Uh, I think fingertips, don't get me wrong on this number. It's not what, what's important, but it's the message behind it. Fingertips, I think, Theoretically, there's enough variation in a fingertip where there would have to be something like 15.8 billion people on earth for there to even be two people on earth with the same fingerprint. Because as, as much little curves and all that kind of shit that's in your finger, there can literally be like over 15 billion different codes or designs in a fingertip. So that's how seeds are. The more seeds you get to grow, the more genetic representation is there to express itself. You get to grow 10 seeds, you might not get to see the whole picture. You get to grow a million seeds, you get to see the whole picture. That's a big picture. I, yeah. I do want to throw another little thing in there, though, too, because there is, um, you know, there's a genetic expression to the environment. So, like, I've heard people talk about, too, where you take, you know, um, a wide leaf variety and you move it into an environment that would traditionally be a narrow leaf variety and that plant will start to shift to become more of a narrow leaf variety as you grow it there like if you clone it or if you're breeding it or whatever i would imagine those those traits was that that plant or that genetic would start to express itself based on the environment that you're bringing it in as well. And those expressions can get passed along epigenetically through the next generation that you're breeding is, is my understanding of that too. So mm -hmm. as that plan is shifting, it's, it's actually triggering different things inside that gene code to come up. You know I mean? That's why when we talk about like triggering, well, Coots and Chad, he always talks about um, aloe vera triggers the SAR response of the plant, you know, that's what it's talking about. It's physically communicating with that plant and it's causing a shift in that, the way that genetic code is being read and printed and acted out. And that, that change will carry on though in every cell replicated after that too, though. Now we're cooking with fire. Here's Coot. What's up, Coot? Um, Good. So Coot, I was, I was, I, I seen you in chat there, man. And uh, I was, I was just looking up while Smiley was talking. I was looking up the climate of India. Yeah. And it seems like I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out when their um, when their wet season is. It says the summers are, are hot and humid because obviously like here, there's a lot of water. 
but they're closer to the equator, so they got the heat, but then they got heat and humidity in the summer, which doesn't necessarily translate to rainfall there, but it will translate to rainfall in the Himalayas or whichever way the wind's blowing. But when's when is the wet? I'm trying to figure well, out. Well, the, the monsoon, the monsoon season is when you get the uh, copious and flooding. I mean, every right it's just a fact of life uh so how what i can't figure out is how does monsoon season relate to the grow season of cannabis in southern india is it is it the same time or is it uh, is it the opposite is it like us getting winter rain and then we're not growing and then when we I don't grow, know. It's not um, i don't know well the summer i'll tell you our summer and is their summer as far as right uh you have to get it's more the uh, below the equator uh, right uh, but anyway, I wanted to say something. I'm not a I'm not a breeder. Never claimed to be, uh, you know. But what I do have is first hand knowledge of the first imports, starting in '71 with, uh, well, I mean the Mexican stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Panama Red was the first like boutique. He had a song too that helped, you know. Uh, kind of set the tone for the next 50 years, I guess. But what I wanted to say is that I had the luxury because of where I lived and people I associated with to see seeds from Africa, all over Asia, from east to west, all over Mexico, Central America, South America, um, and let's see. Oh, the Caribbean. Um, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And I would bet I've seen at least 200 different seed groups, or, you know, because of the loads coming in. It may have been the same strain, but, you know, this was, you know, how it works. As it got more and more popular, the quality went down. And when the quality went down, the seeds got smaller. The biggest seeds I've ever seen any time were from the extremely healthy plants that were grown not by cannabis growers, but by farmers in those places. And they had to turn out good product or the brokers, their stuff would get left and they'd sell it to some other part of the world or whatever. So, Ohak is the one because what they actually did, so you have this tall plant and the leaves, excuse me, the branches were just cut off and hung. So when you got them, they were 24 to 30 inches long. And the uh, leaves, Sensomia wasn't, that term didn't even come around until 77. So that was a, an American deal that they fought and say, look, you know, you're our producer, we're the customer, here's what we want. <laughs> that was a part of the tradition of any any culture around the world. Seeds have been valued by the human race. When when yeah. uh, groups of humans would migrate, they took their seeds with. They took their vegetable seeds. They took their herbs. They took their flowers. Uh, they wanted to keep that, that gave them a, a a purpose. You know, part of their uh, being, their, their their soul, if you will. And. Um, but also the seeds out of Afghanistan, my God. I mean, 
they look like three or four BBs, that amount of mass, you know, if you glued them together, you know what I'm saying. Um, now, where you do see differences was on the markings, the stripes, the splots. Those definitely would would differ from culture to, I mean, not culture, but uh, region to region. But I have a theory, and then I'll, uh, I'll shut up and you guys can argue. Here's my theory. Beginning about... 1500 years before the common era, India was sailing around the Horn and up to that river in Nigeria. That has been a major trading spot for millennia. That's where the slave trade happened. And what do sailors carry around the world? They carry their weed. I, I believe sincerely, having smoked a lot of different African, and they were all small. You didn't get loads. You got like a half a pound. I didn't, but I mean, a half a pound might come in. And so if you knew the guy, you know, you might get a quarter ounce or something. And um, there was so much similarity, whether you're talking North Africa, all the way down. Now, the reason Durban is so unusual, it's been a major shipping uh, point east to west, west to east for millennia. And again, what do sailors bring? You know, they got their their stash with them, right? And I believe that they got to, uh, many, if not all, the seeds got to the New World via the slave trade. Because if you go and look at the artwork of pre-Columbian uh, peoples, you'll see every plant, every animal that was important memorialized in their artwork, in their carvings, in their paintings, they're pottery, right? Just like every other human uh, culture. But you know what you don't see? You cannabis. don't see cannabis. Yeah. There were two so My belief is it's a little bit I think I think I have more evidence to say that it's, it's more like a postulation. Is that it arrived with the uh, early and the slave trade was early. Um we know that for a fact. And uh, it, that's the one that makes sense. It is also true that there are certain seeds that bird, uh, birds are not able to digest. Birds are also a big spreader of seeds. They eat a seed here, and if you know anything about the huge distances that birds migrate, I mean, to get from Europe to North America was a, you know, no big deal. So, you know, depending on how, which route you took. Anyway, that's my opinion. I believe that it has, this has more to do with uh, genotype. It has to do with how it was grown. Um, and so the tradition in that region, I believe, would have a lot of input of, of how, because you're talking about, you mentioned water, how much water is available. What time of the year does a, a rain season hit? All those things, I think, has more to, to do with the deal than the strain, even though that term is really misused in cannabis. Uh, see what I'm saying? And I, I, don't, I don't think that Afghanistan seeds would, would always be the same size during the Afghan, Afghanistan war with Russia 
in the 80s, for example, than they were in the 70s when the king was still there and the uh, hashish uh, in Kandahar, Mazar Sharif, Kabul was tolerated by the central government. That's my opinion. Well, that's my experience too of knowing, because watching how things changed as the political realities beginning when the uh, CIA overthrew the king in 74, 73, whatever it was. And uh, uh, the, uh, the guys we supported against the Russians, I can't remember. The, We've been in and out of Afghanistan. If you look at the history, it's called the graveyard of history. Our old friend, Osama, that guy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, we were supplying them with uh, uh, ground-to-air missiles and, the you know, Mojang. grenade launchers. And, you know, yeah. let's really stir it up. Yeah, yeah. No, Careful I, who I'm, you I'm party sorry. with, you know what I mean? I'm glad you uh, also mentioned that as I, I've been throwing that uh, idea in my head around that I don't think those Catholic con conquistadors were smoking weed. So I don't think Colombian gold came from them. So. No, it's. Yeah, I'll leave it that one alone. I'm, I'm um, a believer in that. I, I believe in a lot of things where the way history is rewritten, people want to push dates back. And then I'm like, no. Nah, things are more recent than we think they are <laughs> well and, and cannabis i mean even today people in america have this idea that in india is like really tolerant of cannabis nothing could be further from the truth yeah. uh there was no huge foods. cannabis production in india yeah. and certainly not after the brits got there and hung out for 300 years and just annoyed the shit out of everybody. Um, but like, okay, the Kush Valley, for example, when you leave uh, Benares and you head north of that highway that has been in existence for probably 5,000 years, it basically goes from the, the route of the Silk, the Silk Route, goes straight south to what used to be called Bombay and now it's called uh, Mumbai. That's, Mumbai has been a commerce center for, fuck, I don't know, at least. Yeah, almost, almost as long as we've been people living right. and move goods. Yeah, yeah. And so when the, when the Brotherhood started moving hash out of there in 66, 67, they didn't know how to do all this, but they had contacts in Afghanistan who knew the drill, the uh, warlords, and they would then move it east because it comes down the east side uh, of life. You look at the Indian Ocean and you'll see the highway I'm talking about it goes right into the big ports of Mumbai and that whole area where all the factories are and what have you. So, uh, and I got to tell you too, I, mean, I know it sounds really groovy to sit there and think, well, I bet those guys really, they really handpicked, you know, these strains and this. We're talking warlords. We're talking about people that took plants and turned it in, not what we call hash today, but the hash of hashish, how's that? You know, uh, the stuff that made you, that's where the word assassin comes from, the hash eaters. And, um, but it wasn't like they were like, oh, that was so groovy last year. You know, that stuff we grew over in the South side, I think it had a little bit more punch. I mean, they were just making bricks of it and getting it moved, you know, to people that couldn't grow or produce it. 
it was a commodity. It'd be like growing, well, they actually grew more watermelons and melons than cannabis in Afghanistan, so. Anyway, that's my opinion. So, you were talking about the birds don't like the seeds of the... No, I'm saying there are plants that the birds cannot di digest the seed. I'm not. I don't. I don't think about cannabis. So I just know that in other plants uh, and, and botany. Yeah, because they would be a spreader of the seed. Well, they are of worms. For example, worms cannot digest worm cocoons. So let's say they land on Cascadian's worm uh, compost pile, and there's some worm uh, composting worms in there. So they eat all the worms that they can find, and they'll also pick up cocoons. The cocoons, you know, what goes in has to come out if it doesn't get digested, right? And so they fly to my place and uh, defecate, and worms get in that pile, and that's how uh, the worms are spread, uh, the colonies are spread. They don't come up from the ground. That's a whole different kind of worm. Uh, composting worms are a whole different, it's like... Uh, <coughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, it's, hey, uh, dogs. You got mastiffs and you got chihuahuas. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. so. I have a question uh, for all you guys based on the seed thing. Just, well, not a question, but kind of a perspective. Um, and with all those regions that you were talking about, Coot, that you've seen seeds from and you know different developmental uh variances you know um i you know that's a lot of history there but what i was thinking is like well what about the climate you know like the climate and the, uh like okay like you said you made you mentioned like usually the big bulky seeds were from people who were farming that meant to do this so they could, you know, keep doing this and yada, yada. Well, I'm sure that they picked the perfect time to start breeding and start farming their cannabis while other regions just kind of naturally had it happen. But maybe it wasn't at the perfect time that the, see what I'm thinking is, is like, maybe there's a perfect time, time frame where you're, you know, your male should hit your female for you to get that perfect developmental boost into seed production rather than uh, bud. Like, let's say, you know, you, you uh, get her pregnant later on while she's in flower rather than starting earlier in flower. It has a late, I would imagine the bud has, a, I mean, the mother has a, a kind of slower chance of making her seeds, but she still wants to make those seeds. So she still does because like I noticed in my bud, you know, that I made these F1 seeds with that um, there are some um, smaller seeds, but it's from it's from later development in the butt. You know what I mean? Let me answer. I, th I think I, I, I think I understand. Let me answer your question this way. What we do today and have done for. Let's say. 45 years, we'll say 50. Okay, I'll give you 50. How's that? Is completely unrelated to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of cannabis, hemp, whatever. I don't get into all that, but 
the biggest yeah. thing was was seeds. Why? It was livestock feed. You could right. press oil out exactly. of it for cooking. And so or, you grow your own stock after, yeah. Right. I mean, that they is, were like, oh, you know, we go and harvest it now because I, I you know, I my my 14 year old kid went out there and he could see the trikes are you know they're going amber on us you know i mean that's a, that's a completely yeah that's that's, that's a modern a and i'm not even i, I don't want to get into this one i'm not even convinced okay i'll give you an example i'm talking, I'm talking i have about a seed. climate region well that, that's what i'm talking about i have a i have a strain that i uh dates back to or not a strain it's a plant the dates back to 1984, so it's 37 years old. And you can take it 12 weeks, you can take it 16 weeks, you can take it 18 weeks, and it went outdoors, you can take it 11 months, and you're never going to get a cloudy trike. So if that's your marker, this is like the plant that never matured. That would be what people would say, you know. Well, you know, if you That's don't get those cloudy trikes, you know, it's just not going to have the THC. How, the two are completely unrelated, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't want to bust anybody's bubble. I've never really been a, uh, you know, I've had a bunch of different little, uh, different plants to yeah. see which one's best, you know, and I kind of go by, I kind of go by my green thumb more than, you know, what people say i gotta go by what he tells me here's what i it do. really does it and i don't care if it's yours or you not. i don't mean that I, I didn't mean that at all i don't care whose seed it is i don't care no, where don't, it came from i don't care what the story is about week eight i start rubbing the bottom of the bud and i smell it i've been growing since 1976. i give about that much credence to what somebody on a forum says, because yeah. everything's always this whole blanket. It has to apply to everything. I mean, you wouldn't do that with a dog. I mean, I have a bulldog. You think I'm ever going to get trained that animal to go out and retrieve a bird that I shot out of the air? Good luck, you know. Uh, or if I had some foo-foo horrible dog like a chihuahua or something, you know. I mean, what are you going to train that to do? Uh, chase cockroaches out in the yard? I mean. It, it, make, the, the cannabis scene is such a, a business and it's so dis, de, detached from science from botany from biology it's about chemistry it's about how fast could i flip this uh, thing you know i got a hey, i got you know i got bills to pay um and i didn't it wasn't any better before it, i well, mean this isn't anything new for me, it's not like that. I can say that. No, like, I'm at the up, industry. I'm no, I'm talking about the industry. I'm talking about the crap that ends up in our dispensaries here for a dollar a gram. Oh, no, two dollars a gram in a pre-roll. I agree. I think uh, there is somebody else that was talking about that, too, though, where uh, like the shorter week strain flowering strains are less potent than the longer weeks. So like, of course they are. Some of the ones that you take yeah. 10, 10 to 12 weeks are going to be way more potent than ones you're harvesting. Oh, you, no, no. You didn't know that, hey, eight weeks is it. I, this is a true story. I gave a, a, a commercial farm here one of my pride and joys. It's that T, it's called the TO, the one from 1984. And I crossed it with a donation from DJ Short on his way to the blueberry thing. 
he had a couple of branches that didn't pan out. One was uh, Blue Velvet, you might have heard of that one. Yep, and this one that. was Velvet Rush. And I got it from a member of the Brotherhood who had brought up seeds. This is like in 1986, 87 to Oregon from California. And they were, they were giving them seeds. That's where the seeds came from because the Brotherhood had been important hash for, you know, previous 20 years out of Afghanistan. They probably had a handle on it. So I gave him this cross. And I, I had even sent the clones and the seeds from DJ Short to Hawaii because Oregon's a horrible place to do seeds. I mean, if you're not out of the field that by the middle of October, you're just rolling the dice as far as mold. So when I gave him the, when I gave him the seeds, I, I actually gave him cuts. I said, you have to take this 12 weeks. You got two sativa mothers in it from the same district, not the same load, not, you know, the same area. And a, an old, old Kandahar from 71. I said, you got to go, you got to go 12 weeks. You got to go 12. Well, it and it was in a greenhouse, light assisted greenhouse is what they call it here in Oregon. That license, it's a little bit different than a regular straight up outdoor. And at eight weeks, the buds, I, I will admit, they were monster. He's, and the guy says, well, I'm going to take it down. I said, it's not done. He goes, he looks at me like, listen, you old fucker. I know when it's done. I went, hey, it's your deal, man, not mine. So then about a month and a half later, I get a call from the idiot wife. We tested it. It's only 17%. Well, it must suck to be you, Cupcake. You're the one that pulled it down four, if not eight weeks early. Don't call me. You know, so anyway, they, they were out of business at the first year of uh, in business. It was that first year when all that foreign money was rolling around Oregon and you could get anything for financed. If you nope. had hemp muffins, you could find somebody that would bankroll you to produce hemp muffins to ship all up and down the West Coast. So, so anyway. I was doing a little digging while Coot's been gracing us with his presence. It looks like the monsoon season in southern India is from June to September. So, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Right. So I, I was yeah. I was worried because I thought you poked a hole in my theory, but it actually still fits with my theory. If the water comes from June to September, yep. but the seed pops in Very April, then we're, we're playing that same race in the soil, dry down, you're going to get a bigger seed. You're going to see a bigger seed in southern India. It's still... It still fits. I just wanted to synthesize sure. that before okay. I got well, I, Let me add one other thing. That's, uh, what, I was, that's what I was looking at. This is important. Friends of mine who went to India in search of a guru, like 68, 69, they obviously, uh, you have to look at them at Find Benares, and that's the, like the Vatican is to the Catholic faith, Benares is to the Hindu faith. That's the epicenter of the universities, uh, all that. And anyway, that takes you up to the Kush Valley, that highway road or whatever you want to call it. And what they told me, and not just one, this was a, a repeat over and over people that, you know, I would meet in my life that uh, had been to India and in some cases lived there for a couple, three, four years. Is that in the areas where they saw it had the best pot where the, the, the Saudis would be on the side of the road doing hand rolled... Uh, resin balls right 
the plants where they have, there was human interaction, where the villagers would bring their uh, animals to feed the, in the water streams and the plants would be grown on the site, that that was where the best cannabis was. It wasn't the feral stuff. It's the stuff that there was this uh, ongoing association with humans and human activity. It's like that's psilocybin. That's like yeah. psilocybin. Yeah. That's like Cubensis, man. Like even beach yeah. rooms. Can you go to the beach. Well, last night I found out that I'm in the wrong business. Is some people get forty five thousand dollars a pound for hash. Wow. Holy yeah, that, that hundred dollar gram rosin. Do yeah. Are you sure it's that much? Well, let me see. Four hundred and fifty grams. Times, oh, yeah. yeah. That's that's forty five thousand. Yeah. Kiss me. Hey, I can I, grow I mushrooms. I just, I, uh, Terrence McKenna said that five uh, grams was what, a heroic? Let's go superstar and let's do, you know, an ounce. I'd do that before I'd pay $100 to somebody for a gram of something. No, it's clean. You can trust me. No, no I, I know someone in the, in the medical thing and he kind of had his heart broken because he got involved. He figured out who his bosses were behind the scenes and he was like ashamed that they would buy moldy weed from people coming in there and then sell it to medical patients and that kind of put a stick up his ass and now it's very weird produces single source rosin but wholesale it's like 80 dollars a gram and i'm like dude you're fucking those medical patients just as bad as them smoking moldy weed because you know they can't afford 80 dollar a gram fucking grams of rosin so gus did i did i answer the question before you got to ask it was that where you were going yeah, yeah, about that temperate region, about the June to September, and basically how, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. You cool. know, I just wanted to make sure you got got what you were looking for. Yeah, least. I appreciate that, man. I wanted to say that. Yeah, it's fascinating. I've though I've spent a lot of time thinking about this because I'm trying to figure out how to grow not just cannabis but another 500 different herbs in the changing climate changing world we're living in so i've had to do immense amounts of digging into how we used to do things before we started this suppression of knowledge and egotistical yeah. farming and first farming. fuckery like yeah <laughs> i've spent a lot of time trying to trying to unravel how these things came to be the way that they are not what we want them to be um, yeah so thanks for entertaining me to, tonight, guys. And thanks, Coop, for popping on, dude, because it was fun to talk to you in chat, but this is always greater. Oh, yeah, I know, right? Thanks, dude. I, 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 well, I just tried to understand that question out in chat, but... Hey, Cascadian, I, understand, you heard me say this a hundred times. I don't pretend to be a breeder. I don't want to be a breeder. Um, yeah. And I'll just leave it at that, you know, I mean... Right, but you have experience that the rest of us wish we had, man. You have, and that's what I appreciate from you is is that you have you have the hands on. You've seen the shit. You watched it. You've you've got umpteen fucking years on me that I can't. There's I can't I can't go back and see shit when I wasn't here. You know, so I, I appreciate it. Like that's a whole different aspect to. I can bring the science. I can bring all that shit, but I can't go to the seventies. No matter how hard I try. I still maintain that the, the most powerful cannabis I've ever, on, on a regular basis, I mean, obviously there's always a special load or, you know, 
some surfer came back and you know, I, you know, have you ever surfed? You're always repairing your board, it gets dings in it, right? So traveling around the world with your surfboard in 68 with uh, parts A and B of, to make fiberglass patches, and nobody was, you know, yeah. there was no DEA for starters. Right. And that didn't, that nightmare didn't happen until the mid 70s. But, um, so you travel, you could uh, say you're surfing in Sri Lanka and you got a good score, or you could open up your board and stuff, you know, a couple of pounds and then patch it. And when you went through customs, you're just another uh, bum surfer, you know? And uh, so that when I say, you know, it wasn't like big lows, it wasn't like that shit didn't happen until uh, the Colombian nightmare in the late seventies probably the worst weed that ever landed on uh, American shores. But um, the, the really, all the really good weed, like, I hate the word cannabis. No, no, this is happening, this is cannabis, that's weed. And uh, regardless of where it came from, because it was a crop, not a lifestyle. I mean, you know, the Mexicans in Oaxaca region or uh, Culiacan or Guadalajara. It couldn't be a lifestyle, right? No. Yeah. I mean, they were just, hey, the hippies. It was so funny because by 68, some of the Mexican, because uh, they're farmers, you know, they were, you know, what uh, military calls indigenous personnel. They didn't want money anymore because they couldn't use it. So they had to start taking down Levi's, uh, buck knives, tools, you know, yeah. shovels, hoes. That's what they needed and wanted. And there's a, a famous uh, story about the Brotherhood cleared out all Levi's in Orange County, sending people out to buy all they could so they could take them down there and trade for uh, loads of uh, bricks. And that, that story is repeated in other parts of the world too. Like, what am I supposed to do with this money? It's not even gold, you know? It's not like you're bringing me gold bars or silver coins, you know, it's paper money. So, uh, yeah, we, we see the, the, there's a group called the Indian Land Race Exchange and they're essentially still doing that today. They, now they sell the packs to us Westerners, but they take that money converted into construction materials and they've built schools in in the himalayas they they've built they built villages they've built bridges they've built they don't they don't you know where they pull the seeds from they don't just go and give them money and say here you're fabulous now they they actually go the extra step to improve their life or build them something that means something to that community they turn it of something into something of substance and it's not the paper money. It's it's like you're saying the tools or the clothes or the I've seen I've medicine up loads of clothes to, to villagers. Yeah, um, medicine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's still kind of going on today, which is why I, I love to support those guys. I have a few things from them because I, I know what they're doing They're They have the right spirit about it. Hey, I don't want to sell my seeds, the seeds that I'm making. I'm going to keep breed. I'm going to keep like going on and making effort. All the way to F whatever, fucking six, seven, eight, and breed lines. I'm going to be doing all that, but I don't want to sell any of it, you know? Like, shit, I want to I wanna find people that are down to do stuff like that. And I, 
I've always, you know, wanted to start something that, that actually is decent, that has decent, like, uh, quality to it, you know, not, and not worry about all the logistics, just care about the quality, you know, I, all I care about is the quality, I don't care about all the logistics or, you know, but well, I'd love uh, to Cascadia mentioned water. Here's a good example. So you have two uh, big production areas in the West, which would be uh, Northern California. I'm going to define that for this discussion from Sacramento North to the Oregon border. And then the Oregon border on the West side of the Cascades, which means water. But anyway, those areas are... Uh, Northern California and Southern Oregon are already in a drought. We're not even at the end of May. And so what you have there is several decades of mainstream farming. You have orchards, uh, pears, uh, cherries, uh, fruit that has a stone in the middle that is called a droop. That's a category of plant. But you also have grains down there, rice, uh, barley, uh, and then the most... Uh, inefficient crop you could possibly grow is potatoes in the Klamath Basin. And then add on top of that, the tourism from the fishing and the uh, uh, whitewater rafting on the rogue ri the southern uh, rivers that are also fishing runs, salmon runs. So you have all these competing interests. And now we're going to add, we so what, three or four years ago, we added cannabis. Okay, but that was pretty limited, 40,000 was the big uh, uh, square feet, basically an acre. That was the big license, and the little license is 20,000 square feet, half acre more or less. And then now you had, and under Oregon law, you got 100 acres, you want to plant, a, plant 100 acres in hemp, have at it, have at it. So you have all these, these, fact, these, these sectors some long established and two really big users, cannabis and hemp, they're really the new kids on the block. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out because, I mean, for example, the salmon runs, that's controlled by the Marine, uh, Pacific Marine, that's an international treaty, Pacific Marine Fisheries. You can't just go, oh, yeah, we're going to cut your water off. We got to grow some wheat over here. So, you know, no more salmon runs and uh, park your uh, jet boats and yeah, it should be fun. Well, they're going to turn California into a dust bowl. What's that? I said they're going to turn California into a dust bowl, just like they did. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 This is going to be a really, really, really bad year. They've already had uh, meetings on, down on the border with representatives from the, at state, federal, county levels. I mean, there's so many interests. You have vineyards you know wine producers i mean that's a lot to think about man yep there's a lot that's a lot to think about you know there's that's there's 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 a lot going on you know man i was watching this video it's it's not even on the subject but i was i seen this video of somebody cruising in uh the philadelphia pennsylvania like one of the worst hoods or whatever just driving through it and like just all the trash that I mean I've seen I've seen the California too and stuff but just all the trash that people leave 
I seen a video the other day of somebody, a grow video on YouTube where somebody straight up took their fucking leftover. Oh man, it was, it was fucked up. They just took it. They took their leftover wastewater and dumped it in, in their backyard. Just dumped it into the into the backyard, you know. <laughs> Dude, I there's people that change their car oil and dump it in their backyard. <laughs> <laughs> fucking batteries. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Where it came from? That's what they tell themselves, you know. It's crazy. Think about this for a minute. So, Oregon was the first state that decriminalized. Uh, Weed in 1971 or 72, so 50 years. We were the first one. Not you get a. It was a ticket. Right. Uh, maximum was a hundred dollars. No, no uh, uh, misdemeanor. No felony. Just okay. No wonder okay. the fucking people are so cool there, dude. So, well, this is during <laughs> Vietnam. So you could come to Oregon and go to school, get a student deferment, keep out of the draft, and smoke weed. It filled up the universities like crazy. I mean, oh, out of state. And so that was a big money maker for the state. So they went, well, this is pretty cool. And uh, I mean, we voted on legalization in 76. It didn't pass, obviously, but this was a ballot initiative. You know, get some signatures and because that's how we run our state. We, our, we, our legislature doesn't do anything. Everything's on ballot initiatives. One time we had 61 ballot initiatives, one election, you know, and that's not even counting the county ones, just the state shit, you know, the, the big, the big ones. But, um, now we weren't the first, we were actually, we were behind Alaska and I don't know who else, but we went legal, uh, medical in 90. Yeah. The election in 98. So, um, so there's always been this like, eh, attitude about growing weed here i mean sure you know they say you got drunk one night and you're out there shooting a gun at midnight in the air and the neighbors call and they come out there you got to deal with your drunk ass and they find 20 plants yeah you're probably going to get dicked around you know uh you, you know you can't be stupid your whole life and uh so yeah i mean it's like and now when they made it legal uh and as usual in most of these states a lot of people don't understand this. The people that are going to benefit the most, they're the ones that write the laws, that hire the, the uh, you know, the attorneys and the researchers and get that thing just tweaks right so that they're dancing and the guy growing it is getting this by the time. Okay, so if the place down at the end of my street sells pre-rolls, a gram for two dollars. Let me see. That's nine hundred dollars a pound, right? That's what the uh, dispensary selling it for. Well, how many steps did it go before the time it left the production farm? What a broker, a distributor. You know, just like produce, right? You got forwarders, you got packers, you got everybody's getting a. You know, they call it fingerprinting. Everybody gets a fingerprint on that box from the time it leaves the orchard and wherever until it gets to your supermarket. Shit out. Sorry. Go on. No, I just, uh, so, I mean, how can, how can you sell a pre-roll for $2 for a gram? And you go to any of these dispensaries and we got a shitload of them. I mean, 
We got a mess it's up gotta here. Got to be somebody's yeah. like bunk. It's got to be somebody. Well, of course bunk. it is. You know? Of course it's bunk. If that's there's, not no really what... there's no standard on quality. Yeah. You know, Jeez. no, that's not really what hey, you're looking hey, for. Here's my point too. A gram Real of rosin to sell you. It, it's it's the it's the tobacco and liquor uh people that run medical marijuana in the first fucking place it's not like it's not the seat it's not like the fucking health organization of america it's fucking the liquor and tobacco federation that actually made medical marijuana so everybody's sitting here saying oh medical 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 but really they don't realize all the, mm. the shit they're fucking smoking because it's fucking tobacco and liquor that made this shit fucking legal yeah. in the first place that own this. So what the fuck? You know what I mean? Didn't, like, didn't they outlaw liquor, though? Like, wasn't that part of why they they took away home breweries when they first took away prohibition? It was because so many people were getting poisoned. A lot of people had their brews in their basements and shit and were poisoning people. Wasn't that well, part of it? Well, I mean... No, I, I think that's an ex, that's an excuse to use um, against that's that's an easy like fold for them because think about it um, they they <laughs> they legalize cigarettes. But you mean, can literally like kill people if you're making moonshine wrong and shit, right? Well, well, they kill people with cigarettes is my point. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, they they make things that kill us that they know kills us, like, for a fact. Oh, yeah. I'm going to paraphrase. Uh... They advertise it and have us have us suck it like it's a tit, dude. Like, then, they they'll put, then they'll put commercials for the prescriptions on all the symptoms of the shit they say. <laughs> I mean, come on. Caused, you know? They do yeah, the, the, cause, the girl says, yeah. oh, God, I don't God. think we're in Kansas anymore, and I would say this about the cannabis. I don't think we're at Woodstock anymore. So, no. uh... They do the yeah, same thing with dry food. business, you know. That, but what I, what I do like here is <laughs> that, that that needs to be a T-shirt. Yeah, put it on your page. What, what I do like about Oregon is that they gave us four plants per household. Oh shit, that's cool. So I mean, uh, and Cascadian seen some of my pictures. You know, eight hundred gallon pots. Um, just to give you a frame of reference, that's two full pallets of soil. At, at if you went to Home Depot. Uh, those are two yards. A, a yard's 27 cubic feet, so 54 bags is two yards, and that's two pallets. So the that's the amount of, and then, of course, you got your amendments. I love I love grinding on this one. So, yeah, and you got your aeration, you got to have your worm castings, and, of course, I got to have my neem. Neem and karanja meal. And let's see what else. Oh, yeah, basalt. Not, not the zeolite, not bentonite. Not azomite, okay. paramagnetic basalt. Okay. Okay. There you go. Bam. Oh yeah. What else? Oh yeah. Just to uh, appease the uh, cannabis gods, I toss in a cup of uh, oyster shell powder. Not because it's cool, because it's cheaper in limestone. It's all <laughs> calcium carbonate. Yeah. Oh yes, I use uh, oyster shell powder. Uh, it's fifty cents cheaper for fifty pounds than a bag of limestone. So there you go. There's my mix. I see a lot of people doing the ferments in uh, WCAP with the KNF, the, with the eggshells and vinegar and stuff. And, you know, I, I always worry about that, but you can actually just boil eggs. You know, when you, when you make hard boiled eggs, 
you can actually take the leftover water and use that for calcium too. Well, I had an opportunity. I didn't know who he was, and I don't mean that as a uh, negative. No. I just yeah. I'm not. I don't. I'm not into that. But I had an opportunity to talk with Chris Trump, who I guess is like a big guru in the KNF thing. And so, and I was really polite. And I said, "Well, I, I got a question for you." I said, "So it's called Korean natural farming." He says, "Right." I said, "Okay." I said, well, the author of uh, One Straw Revolution, I always mispronounce this, I'm not going to try, but he coined that phrase in 1938, and he's Japanese, okay? So let's fast forward to the late 90s, early 2000s. We have a guy from the Philippines by the name of Gil Karandang who taught us how to take eggshells and, and, and uh, char them. Yeah. And that, because there's a tiny amount of phosphorus in calcium carbonate, so now we have calcium phosphate. Does that ring a bell? Does that yeah. sound like Mr. Cho or Master Cho or whatever yeah, you're supposed right. to call Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, So, uh, and, and he's laughing, Trip, uh, Chris, he goes, and so I said at one point, so I, I said, so where's the, this Korean connection? And then he says, well, it's only called Korea natural farming in America. Everywhere else around the world, it's called natural farming. I said, you mean like the original guy in Japan? He's the one that, uh, you know, the seed balls where you take manure and you put your seeds and you let it dry. And then when it comes time for planting, you just toss the balls, you know. Uh, that's well, you now we uh, use terms like sustainable agriculture, no-till. That's all came from this one man. Uh, it's anyway, you can download the book, you can find it all over the internet for free. Uh, the One Straw Revolution. So, anyway, uh, and he's laughing. He said, Yeah, you're right. I said, I, I just don't, I where's this Korean thing coming from, you know? And a lot of most of the recipes, Yo Karandang did remember, he had a, a website called The Unconventional Farmer, and then he print, had a book that you could get from uh, Kindle, it had all these recipes you know, ferments and, uh, but see his thing, he was working with third world people that were really poor as a way to increase food production. And he gave the information away. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a cannabis thing. And some cannabis people in the early days, like this around like 2008, 2009 on IC Mag and others, were starting to talk about the One Straw Revolution book, Gil Karandang, and that's kind of how the thing got started in the cannabis area. I mean, so there you go. Right, KNF's oh, wow. marketing. Look at this. It's a marketing. Hey, this is a great. Hey, this is a cool little uh, thing you sent up there, Smiley. The unconventional farm Right. That's that's the archived version of Gil Karandang's. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. that's that. I was telling you, it's still archived. There's the link in the chat there. Oh, good, good, good. Um, I would post it in the YouTube chat, Eagle, but I'm not a mod, so maybe you can copy paste that into the YouTube chat at some point. I just lost. There we go. Okay, I gotta um, keep this. But that's so that's not the original Gil Karangdang website because it got taken down. But there's right like pages archived on the backside of this unconventionalfarmsupply.com. Um, but yeah, it's it's KNF before they put a marketing term on it, which is why KNF pisses me off. 
Right. Because it's a, it's a damn marketing term. Sure it's it is. another way to market up to the cannabis oh, community, man. make them think they see something new, and charge them top fucking dollar for it. Yeah. Dude, I'm, I hate to say it, but that Elaine Ingham, I hate, you know, I know everybody, you know, but she comes out with this new stuff and everybody buys into it. I know people that are putting thousands of dollars into that shit and it's like, dude, I... <laughs> I mean, it's we're going to get it. We're going to get the information. It's going to come out in PDF form for everybody in the world. It's going to be mammoth pee all over again. <laughs> yeah, well, I forgot true. two things in my soil mix. And uh, chat mentioned it. And Smiley, thank you. Uh, yeah, got to have kelp meal. I know it's got, it's got you know, arsenic and heavy metals. Let's see what else. Uh, Oh yeah, what barley, malted barley, and that causes microbial collapse. You know that? Yeah, yeah. Because you need to do it with a compost tea. You need to get a six hundred dollar uh, vortex brewer. Now you got to have one that goes clockwise and counterclockwise. Because depending on the time of the year, do you want to do your teas with this system or against it? You know. <laughs> what's what cycle is the moon in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, you got to remember, I was there. Evidence I was there at the very beginning of the whole compost tea thing before the book was written. I've known Tad Hussey. His father, Leon, most of the pictures in that, in the uh, wonderful book, uh, Teaming with Microbes, if you look real closely, they're taken by Leon Hussey. The, um, the microscope shots of, you know, nematodes and all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, and, that's how he got started. His father and he had a business selling the first plug-and-play compost tea brewer. The company was called Simplicity. Get it? Simplicity. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they they gave me one one time to test it. I said, okay, sure. So I got home and I plugged it in. It was one of those uh, air pumps, like you plug in a car to blow up an air mattress, like you're camping. I'm serious, except this one had a regular plug on it. And the decibels, I could, I had it on for 10 minutes and I just pulled the thing out of the way. I said, yeah, tested, I'm done. And uh, that was the end of that. So I, I'll tell you, if you, you want to, here's the cheapest one. And this will do 50 gallons at a time, cost you of water. This will cost you about a buck and a half. Okay. So. EcoGrow has a 200 liter per minute pump. So let's, I'll use a stoner conversion. That's 50 gallons, right? So 50 gallons of air per minute. And on sale, probably now, especially, you could probably pick them up for a buck 30. Okay. And you're going to need some uh, 3 8 the heavy duty tubing, right? And now the air stone is seven inches in diameter, seven, and it's two inches thick. And it's got a big brass three-inch knob. They use it on farms to aerate ponds to reduce the algae. And they it's also float brass barley. On it, though. Huh? It's got brass on it, though. Oh, I know. That could cause... Antimicrobial. Well, it, it, could, it could mess with and the space-time continuum. You're going to smoke that weed and you're going to develop lockjaw. Oh, I know. <laughs> but anyway, so this will, so I guess like your home garden, your vegetable garden, you know, you, you want to uh, say you, where you live, you have a lot of chlorine. Yeah. Uh, 
I live in the oldest city in west of the Mississippi. Ours is all mountain runoff from Mount Hood. I'm gold, but I'm not everyone lives, you know, and on the Clarence River, right? So I know where that is. That's cool. Yeah, been, I like that area, man. Well, I'm right. I, at, yeah, I live right at the confluence of the Willamette and the Clackamas. I walk by there every morning with my dog. Agnes. The Dalles. I like. I used to go. I went to the Dalles a few times. Oh and yeah. Like, hang out there for a few weeks, you know. Yeah, there's not. But let's say you, need, you want to get you dechlorinate your water. All it takes is is oxygen. So you put this uh, pump in it, and because it, it's so heavy, it goes right to the bottom. It's not going anywhere. And you plug it in and give it ten minutes, and there you go. Bye bye chlorine. It went floating away. Yeah. And uh, then if you want to do one of those uh, wonderful compost teas, get that stuff analyzed, and we're going to do some. This is going to be uh, bacteria dominant this time. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Always worry about bacteria. You know what's sad is I've been really trying to listen to a, I've been I've been trying to be more open minded to a lot of discussions where so called experts are asked to, you know, help us understand things. And I just get more confused. Like things I thought about trichoderma aren't what I thought. Things I thought about compost tea. There you go. Tell me tell me this, okay? When you look at what I, and I don't mean this to be disparaging, but when a person looks at legitimate farm supplyers, okay, the international sales, and let's take humic acid, is, that's a good one, because that's a, a, it's so loosey-goosey uh, as far as what constitutes a humic acid, a legitimate one, or whatever. Um, Here's the problem with the compost teas. Let's say that it works. Okay, I'll, let's let's just say coots wrong. All right, it, it it works. But now here's your problem. There's no national, state, or local standards for the word or definition for compost. For vermicompost, you could just take some crap, crap uh, you know, some dog, uh, not dog, but uh, cow shit behind Uncle Bob's barn that's been there for five years, throw it in a bag and say, yeah, this is compost. Okay. You know, uh, and worm castings, you want, it's like, you know, tomatoes, you want a good tomato, you got to grow it. Yeah. You want good worm castings, <clears throat> get the so biggest smart pot you can afford and uh, turn that into a, a worm bin. Some cities have... Um... They're uh, shitty compost, you know. Oh, oh yeah, that's the worst. And that's but, what we're talking about right there is what you're talking yes. about. You no, but know. I mean, no, I mean, even if I let's say I set up and I was doing uh, 300 yards a year of thermophilic composting, I could do whatever I wanted. I could add this or not add it. Oh, that's too much. I don't want to add basalt. Let's just do sand. Oh, okay. I'm still gold. Okay. And uh, that's another thing is uh, nitpicking what's better, a fungally or uh, bacterially dominant fungus or a compost, where I thought maybe in cannabis's sake, because it's not a long-term plant, it's only in a pot for X amount of time. It doesn't necessarily need to be 100% dominant in fungal. It doesn't need to be 100% dominant in bacterial. As long as there's a little bit of both, 
it's good for a short-term plant like cannabis. Plants benefit when humans are less are involved as little as possible. Plants survive. Plants were here before the plant king. Well, first was the fungal kingdom, then the plant kingdom, then the animal kingdom, and we're on the tail end of that one. They did rather well for 450 million years without human intervention. Right, then we done knocked everything down, you know. Like my, my two favorite compost to to essentially use would be vermicompost, worm compost. Absolutely. Done, done with our own hand. And then a, low, a little bit slower process, but I think just as good as fungally dominated red wood chip yeah. compost. Okay. But that takes three years to form. But, okay, here's my input to you on redwood so do you live in an area where you can go to a redwood forest i do not okay uh well you can look it up i mean it's photos everything look at the floor of a redwood forest you'll notice that there's nothing between the trees now you look at a douglas fir forest in the pacific northwest and it's got ferns, and I mean, yeah. you'd have to have a machete to chop your way Umpqua through it. National Forest, Umpqua. Exactly. Yeah. So why would that I'm be? In, Do you I'm think in, maybe that redwoods have plant exudes that limit the growth of other plants so they're not in competition yep. with them? That's kind of what I'm thinking. See, but at the same time, they want to find that stimulating growth aspect of the root system in the trunk itself. So, like, that's why they take coconut and they're like, oh, coconut's so great because it's this big, huge fucking nut, you know, this big, huge seed. A seed, you know, yes. A seed, so, you know. What, looking for I was the one that introduced coconut water several years ago. Oh, dude, thank you. Thank you very much. Because I, I. And here's why because the water. Hey, that's Brando. That's an embryo. Okay. And think of all the energy that a, a, any plant puts into a seed, unless there's a cannabis grower involved, like um, to make sure that the reproduction, that, that's the function of every biological organism on this planet is to reproduce, right? Yeah. Whether you're a bacteria yeah. or an elephant or whatever. First, first yeah. thing you're going to run out of in the desert is electrolyte. In World War II, uh, USA uh, medical doctors were using coconut water in the South Pacific as blood replacement. Mm -hmm. So I followed that rabbit down the hole, and then I learned that a researcher, at, at, this is before it was called the uh, Department of Defense, it was called the War Department. There wasn't even a Pentagon yet. Um, he had a thing for growing orchids. He was like a researcher type guy. Yeah. And he started reading these reports how they're using coconut water and as moss. a blood replacement. So he started messing with it with orchids. Yeah. And to this day, what's that, 80 years later almost? Yeah. Check into orchid uh, propagation. Yeah, I have. I've looked into that. I yeah, it's pretty. Coconut water. Right? Coconut water. Well, they, yeah. use, uh, they use moss. Just well, that part, yes, right. They bind it together, yep. you know, and then they put it in a vase or a container of any sort. You could put it in a propagator if you wanted to. So let me address Red Pills because he has a really good question. I think because you don't usually hear this from, you know, consultants. They're really busy consulting and stuff. 
Okay, so back vermicompost, vermiculture, that whole entire process is is definitely bacteria driven. It's a combination of enzymes that come from the uh, material. It's the enzymes that the worms exude to trigger specific microbial responses. And in the worm's digestive tract, which is all they consume, they don't eat anything. They only consume one thing, that's bacteria manure. And in the tract, the enzymes turn it into castings and not worm manure. Not all worms are <coughs> composting worms, okay? So if, if you're concerned, and you should be, not be concerned, but be aware that uh, this is not going to have the, the fungal profile that you might want, you can do things to add fungal colonies to that that don't require hocus pocus. Well, we smoke us. If you <laughs> live in an area of any size, you're going to have uh, find a mushroom grower doing uh, oysters or lion's mane or, you know, the uh, mushrooms, culinary and medicinal. But they grow those in what are called fruiting blocks. And once the, the, they're harvested, those fruiting blocks are an agricultural waste. They have to pay to get it hauled away. But guess what? They'll give it to you. You can bust that thing up and spread it on your compost and let the mycelium just ravage that compost pile, establish more fungal colonies than 10 billion years of compost tea is ever going to do yeah. with an agricultural waste. That's you what know. I use, man, as a leftover mushroom waste. There you go. Well, I like, that, I like that idea even better than buying, a, like we said, going around manufacturing the supposed bag of spores that they're telling me is six different strains of trichoderma. So, yeah. Kuda, I got, I got two questions for you. One I've heard you talk about, but I want to hear you talk about it again. And the other one I don't know if I've ever heard your answer to. Okay. Um, the one I don't know that I've ever heard your answer to is where do you fall on this whole bacterial dominant, fungal dominant soil for cannabis? Which is it a one to one? Is it a one to five? Is it a five to one? You know, is it bacteria dominant, fungal dominant? And then the other one, I seen it in chat. So I'm just relaying a question from chat. Um, what's the difference between a, a well done compost and a poorly done compost? Oh, excellent question. Yeah. Um, first, because the word thermophilic is used, there are people who think, well, all I need to do is run it up to 140 and I'm composting. Wrong. The only thing that doing that does is kill pathogens. So there's an upside and a downside to everything, you know, balance, yin and yang, all that, that whole thingy. Uh, the Zen thing, you know, at the T-Circle. You know, okay. All right. So it kills everything. It kills. So when you, it's done, when you ramp it up to 140, you effectively have destroyed everything. These, I'm going to use real layman's term. The good guys and the bad guys. Okay. So then when it drops below 100, now it's in what we call the mesophilic. And here we start adding materials that will develop uh, the uh, microbe colonies, but also the nutrient profile. And some of those, and I, and I know we're risking, you know, uh, 
destroying third world populations, but kelp is a really good one. Small amounts applied on top, not inside of alfalfa meal. If you cover it, you could ramp, start ramping it up again. Um, so, and that's why we, uh, the layman's turn is curing. So yeah, eight to nine months is what about what it takes to make good compost. Now, when you rush it and let's face it, if it's in a bag, it was rushed. It may have started out wonderful. And as soon as the orders start coming in, Hey, you know, we got to get a bag, you know, uh, what's that expression? Oh yeah. Screw art. Let's dance. Um, you know, just get it done and, you know, cha-ching, cash the check. So if you want it, you got to do it yourself. But the, so the, di the difference is in it, in the steps taken, because remember composting as you and I are talking about, this is a relatively new phenomenon. It only dates to at, at, at the oldest 1927. So it's not even a hundred years. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, a butterfly fart, you know? Yeah, it's a nothing. Um, so that's the big, that's the big one. It, it, and what are you using? What are you starting with? You know, you want carbon. Well, the least cheapest carbon I know of is straw. It's an agricultural waste product. And you can use anything for your nitrogen, uh, alfalfa, it doesn't matter, you know, that part, comfrey. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna, you'll have it up to temp seriously. If you do the lasagna thing, uh, a lot more carbon than nitrogen is the first step. But yeah, you can have it up to 140 within 48 hours. That's a nothing. Because if that's all there was to composting, then all farmers would have to do would be get some used uh, ocean going containers right and stuff it full of straw. And somehow magically, you know, three months later, you got to pour the crap out of it, you know, because it turned it liquid. But anyway, but it is, it's microbes that create compost, not the heat. Because if you look at cold composting processes like black leaf mold, which takes three, four, five years, especially if you're using oak leaves that has a lot of lignin, but that's also going to give you a high fungal because that's what fungi live on is polysaccharides, lignin, cellulose, pick a term, same thing. But I want to address trichoderma. What I, I, I got, if you look at legitimate uh, suppliers of materials, they will say this contains no trichodermas. That's like, you have to, or, or people are just going to move. But in cannabis, it's like, oh yeah, we got trichoderma, sure. But here's the problem. That's like saying cannabis. There's a whole range of trichoderma. It's like bacteria. Some of them will take your leg off. It's called gangrene. Other ones, you know, make our, our cheese and beer and see what I mean? So I, and I know what you're talking about. There's some people running around and it's, they're just selling a name. They couldn't discuss trichodermas because there's some trichodermas on really poorly uh, processed core. I mean, the stuff that's got all the salt. I mean, they're really the reptile stuff, the, the ones that the reptile guys use for their cages or whatever. Yeah, and you're just rolling the dice. I, I had that offered to me. I said, I don't think that's such a good idea. Good, I'd good for you. Right away from that long time ago. Uh, yeah. And I was thinking, you mentioned everything you just said. I've had 
results that, you know, let's say I'm not uh, astounded with it to the point where I think it's at the top of the pyramid, but I've used bagged compost, bagged uh, worm um, compost, trichoderma that was supposedly sold to me in a jar in a baggie or whatever. Yeah. So I'm imagining the margin of all those things I could do myself and how much better and more impressed I'm going to be with the result. If I was already somewhat of I'm impressed with those results. Well, even Eagle, he had me on the program a few months ago, three months ago or something. And, um, and I don't mean this, I had disrespect. I didn't know who he was. And, uh, but anyway, he came on the program and he said, he said, uh, there's some plants there that I done the way I've always done it, which I think was core and, uh, you know, bottled, uh, products or whatever and then this one over here he did with uh, worm castings and, and he didn't think he goes which one do you think was worm castings oh i said that's easy it's one right on the right hand side why did you know that i said because you're never going to get that kind of bulk that kind of color that kind of development i don't care if it's advanced which is really an oxymoron advanced nutrients is neither um or what I don't even know them all. I lost interest with Bosco or no, Botanic Hair, which was a house brand for sunlight distribution. That's why it always had the end cap, you know, because they ran the stores. I don't care who owned it, but sunlight was very dictatorial. Told you what you could carry and how much you had to charge for it and all those other things. Now it's owned by Scott's Miracle Grow, make you feel warm and fuzzy. So, oh. they, yeah, they pretty much own the can the retail. What's a little left of is the retail cannabis trade, the growth stores. So, so Coot, that was my question on the um, compost, and I was having a lot of trouble with my connection right then and there. But if I heard you right, you you always say that the bag soil, the bag compost, you lost everything right there. And I just wanted to point out that that's actually a microbial collapse that you're talking about. That's why yeah, I yeah, yeah, asked yeah. that question. Yeah. So um, if you're seeing positive results from that, then that only, to me, makes me think it's going to go through the ceiling doing it yourself. Absolutely. If you, you know, the best proof is always, you know, that old saying about it in the pudding. I don't understand what it means, but, you know, the, the expression is established anyway. Um, the first time you use real legitimate worm castings, the real deal. It's like you'll, this thing will snap in your brain and go, oh, so that's what it's supposed to look like. I mean, you don't have gnats or, you know, all, all this shit, you know, fungus gnats and root aphids and just this insanity. And it, the plant will take care of itself. I shouldn't say this, but I did. I gave some plants to somebody in the Midwest uh, this past or last Thursday. And I told them how to pack them in a five gallon bucket. But no, they were in a, we can save some money because that, you know, that costs a lot to do it that way. Oh, okay. Well, these are 37 year old genetics, but yeah, go ahead and show me what you can do. So I got a picture and man, it looked like, well, it didn't, uh, it wasn't very good. So the guy's really upset, not with me, he was upset because his agent here, I. I didn't pack it. I don't do that. I'm in Oregon. I can get anybody I want. 
what you do with it, you know, put a paper bag over my head, you know, the unknown uh, ganja guy. So anyway, uh, he texts me, he shows me the pictures, and you know, he's like, what, what should I do? So I said, well, get, you know, my famous uh, fix-it mix, a cup of uh, alfalfa and a quarter cup of kelp and five gallons of water and let it sit for about 18 hours and then don't, and I said, don't put a aeration on it, you're just going to have a mess. Uh, a lot of saponins and alfalfa, you know, just, you know, anyway. So he starts putting it on and I told him how often I said every other day. and sends me pictures today and look like they never were touched. But he was all ready to go down to the grocery store in, I don't know, Peoria or some horrible place like that. And, uh, you know, they was stuck it up his ass for at least $200. At least 200 Oh, well, you know, you need to do the cow mag and this. What else we got? Oh, we got the boring uh, locking out that calcium. You know, you don't want that. Um, oh, okay. Oh, can I get, can I get a, a $700 gallon of uh, mammoth microbes? You know, can you put that on my tab? You know, John, John Sinclair. John Sinclair has a... Uh, <laughs> John Sinclair has a nice, simple way of growing, too, uh, that I I heard about. I mean, I know I know a girl who, that's her uncle, uh, but she lives over here in the States. But yeah, John Sinclair had some pretty cool growing methods, you know, just growing down lime in the beach, just like a normal fucking garden farmer would treat his, treat his uh, you know, soil but he would tell his shit though you know he was a tiller but he he had a simple method you know so yeah my message is real simple too it's l-a-f-t-a leave it the fuck alone you know dude dude you know what man best results i've ever had laughter I'm curious though, like up the line of like a terroir or that discussion of, um, you know, different additives to the soil. Like there's there's guys. Uh, so John Inter is one that talks about that. He's been growing in in rabbit manure for years too. Mm -hmm. And cool, you always talk about about worm castings, you know. And I know there's there's another one of like bat guano that's been known, you know, and that's been widely used in the industry by a lot of people. But I'm just wondering, like if those different type of manures being added to the soil is actually kind of shifting some kind of a, an expression from the plant, different biology. I mean, if we're harvesting a bat guano from across the world in some freaking cave, you know I mean? You're adding some kind of, it's, it's roach, roach, uh, frass right, basically, but you're adding biology there that you wouldn't have any other place, you know what I'm saying? Or, or you're inoculating with bunny manure, which is, known to increase essential oils and lavender so production mechanisms yeah you know? so i mean like it's it's doing something that wasn't there before that's all i'm getting at I well here's be my response to that um the rabbit manure i could understand because the rabbit's an herbivore so i could kind of hang with that i wouldn't but i could you know kind of i could kind of get it but I can't even imagine the amount of rabbits it would take to do any size of even a, a personal garden, much less production. Now, when it comes to uh, livestock manure, in particular, bovine, 
you know, you got you want to stick with dairy, not steer, because dairies they're uh, they make money for the producer, so they're taken better care of than the one that's being fattened up for the slaughterhouse. Um, and then horse manure, if you can, if you live in an area, go where people have money, because they really go wacko on what they feed their horses. I mean, and there's a part of Portland where they, like some of the, the horse ranches are several million dollars. I mean, with training barns and it's like, you know, you're living in Kentucky or something, you know, near the, in the green, uh, the bluegrass area. So you are what you eat. Is what you're yeah, and, and I, I guess that's where I come down is, you know, if I could, the science is there that nothing on this planet is as good for your plants as vermicompost, period. So right. if the cow manure is good, imagine what it's like after it goes through that cycle, because besides bacteria, the big driver for <laughs> worm castings is enzymes. And enzymes drive every metabolic function on this planet. That's why the barley is so effective, because it's bringing a whole range of uh, enzymes like urease for deconstructing urea, uh, phosphatase. What cannabis grower doesn't obsess about phosphorus, right? Uh, two forms of amylase, just like our humans, uh, alpha amylase and beta amylase. There's protease for protein. There's, uh, I mean, a whole bunch. Um, the amount of enzymes in barley is off the chart. You can't even make American corn whiskey without barley because it needs the enzymes right. from the barley to kick in the fermentation of the corn, which is also a grain. I know it sounds weird. Um, can, I, can I ask you something though? Like you always talk about the chitinase being in the barley. Yeah, I'm sorry. Too. Yes, yes, yes. Chitinase. And, and uh, one question I've always kind of had in the back of my head. So if I'm making up a, a barley, you know, seed sprout tea or whatever, and it's uh -huh. got the chitinase in there and I'm soil drenching that into my soil, that chitinase, doesn't that act upon the fun, fungal bodies that are actually in the soil that are made of chitin and it, that adding a shitload of that enzyme is going to kind of blast those the, the cell walls of all the fungal that is there. That's kind of been in the back of my head about that, I guess. I'm not well, sure. Actually, actually, the fungi and, and bacteria both create the chitinase to deconstruct chitin, which uh, It's found all over the plant kingdom and plants. And, okay, here's a, a topic that'll answer the question and it's too long for me to do it in this format, but this will take care of it for you. Chitinase hyphen salicylic acid pathway in plants like we call them immune systems. Botanists refer to that function in plants as a pathway. And there are several pathways, just like in our bodies, we have different uh, immune systems, right? So in the plant, uh, that is one of the most powerful of all the pathways is the chitinase salicylic acid pathway. And I would really uh, strongly invite you to uh, read a couple white papers on it, and it'll answer the questions a lot better than I can. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sidestep your question, but, uh, the chitinase is important also because chitinase, 
attacks the eggshell of the insects, preventing the larva from uh, maturing and then emerging and causing you problems. So that's a big reason to have, I used to use uh, crab meal. Uh, all seashells are made out of calcium carbonate, every one of them. But the uh, crustaceans, lobster, crab, shrimp, uh, what's that one in the south, the red one? Uh, looks like a lobster. Crawfish. Crawfish. Those all, because they grow their shells in layers, and those layers are held together by a layer of chitin that, that holds it. And so when I realized that I could get that chitinase from the barley, I quit buying expensive crab meal and went back to $9.50, you know, limestone or something. See what I mean? It wasn't necessary. Uh, you could just put the barley in there. And uh, if have you ever used barley in your soil? Yeah, I have. Oh, okay. Well, you know how, how dramatic that is? The, the change within a, just a day or so after you apply it. So when I first did it, I didn't know there was such a thing as uh, barley malt. I knew how, what malt meant, so I made my own. I, I stumbled on a, a website that was made for like real grassroots brewers, and it was how to make malted barley. So I did. And then, I don't know, about a year later, a friend of a friend said, why don't you just go buy that stuff at a brew store? I said, they got this stuff already made? He goes, well, yeah. That was the last seed I ever sprouted. Screw this. Cause, uh, and so I go to the brew store and this was the first one in the whole United States was right here in Portland. They've been in business for 102 years or something, right after World War One. Uh, but they have like eight kinds of barley. They have wheat, red wheat, white wheat, rye, spelt. Uh, I mean, any kind of grain you can think of, you can go buy it. And so you have instant, whereas doing it the way I was doing it, the SST thing, the sprouted seed tea, you had to plan two or three days ahead, you know, to, you know, you get the idea. So yeah, but having the seeds right there, I put I got a mill because I make bread, so I grind my wheat, and so I can just run that through the mill, and I got a nice powder, and I can use it, and I can adjust the size of the the mill, either like a flour or more chunks, because I put it in my worm bins too. It really activates, it kicks in the worm, um, the reproduction rate goes up. Uh, and then the deconstruction of the material, which provides more food. And like any organism, you give them more food, they increase their colony or their, their, uh, the tribe or whatever you want to call it. Right. So there's a win-win you're getting better worm castings, more worms, which means more worm castings. And they come out fortified. You're ready to mix your soil and then go find a new hobby. Take up bike riding because you're not going to be dicking around your plants. You know, doing really, really stupid shit like you don't check the the pH of your runoff. No. In fact, I've never owned or used a pH meter, but thanks for asking. You know. Yeah. Ideally, just, you never get runoff, right? I mean, like. You know. Yeah. Right. See, you that's the other thing. Off. Okay, here's a, another reason for you using vermicompost in the worm uh, digestive tract. The uh, castings, as it's being formed, 
is covered with a slime that's made up of, guess what, calcium carbonate. So that's why hardcore organic terrorists never whine about pH because there's nothing to whine about. Awesome. It's absolutely perfect. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that once it goes through the worm's digestive tract, those uh, ions of the elements that we want to see, what you know, whatever's your, your hot button, the bioavailability is immediate. Where when we put in things like manure into our soil, microbes have to deconstruct that before the, it's available to the plant's roots. And that's why sometimes when we over fertilize, it's not that it's burning the plant, it's that the microbes have turned their attention because you threw them candy. You threw them this stuff so they don't have to focus on the plant. That's why in farming, you, you uh, fertilize at certain times. You don't just go out there every day, go, well, here, I, let's do another magnesium tea, you know, or whatever. Cool. How often are you putting, or are you adding uh, worm castings throughout your cycle? Oh, I don't. You just do it in the initial soil mix? Uh -huh. Yeah, it's 33% of my mix. It's a 33% of uh, castings. 33% aeration, I like using pumice, but you know, pick your poison, it doesn't matter. And then the other third is sphagnum peat moss. And here's the whole recipe. So third, third, and third, and then for per cubic foot, now that's 120 cups is a cubic foot for this discussion. I add a cup of kelp, I add a, uh, two, I guess is the average, of basalt, uh, two of, uh, barley, uh, a half a cup of, uh, oh, and a cup of uh, some kind of calcium carbonate, limestone, oyster shell powder. To the you know, whole yard? Just, what you're talking no, about? No, a cubic foot. Oh, per cubic foot, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It's worked, I mean, there's... You know, well, that's how I mix mine too, Coot, is I, uh, I did my, I did the base mix, the third, 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 like you're talking. And then, um, I did mix in the, the, uh, rock dust in the, uh, the, um, oyster shell. And then I made, and then I just added them to my pots and then I amended the individual pots. Cause I knew they were two cubic feet, each pot, mm -hmm. you know, and then I just did the cups per in each pot. So I knew, that each pot would have the, you know what I'm saying, a, a similar amount of amendment. I'm sure it wasn't exact because I did it. It never is. Yeah. But it would be closer than me trying to throw all those cups in the main yard. And my thought was, and then I'm relying on how quality of a hand mix I can do by pulling corners out of the tarp. You know what I'm saying? I figured I can hand mix it each in each pot easier than I can doing it that way and get a more thorough mix through each pot, you know. That was just my thought on it. Seemed to no, you're, you're on the right track. There, there's something that um, you might want to factor in that will make you feel more comfortable. Um, and that's how ions move around in the soil through electrical currents, uh, positive and negative charges. And that's why I always have promoted, there's only two rock dusts that are paramagnetic, basalt and then granite which is a subset of basalt the other ones that are sold as rock dust like the azomites and zeolites and bentonite those are clays 
and they're alumina silicate compounds. Um, but the and then a plant, the taproot is and under in the soil, the taproot is the brain center of the plant. It dictates what uh, exudes go out of the root system to call up. For example, roots use uh, hydrogen as a form of exchange. So that's why, okay, if you were to ask a, a chemist how to write calcium, the chemist would say capital C, lowercase a. That's calcium. If you were to ask a soil biologist how to write calcium, that person would say capital C, lowercase a, and then two plus signs. And those plus signs are exchange sites on the molecule, on the, on the uh, ion. And so it can take two hydrogen atoms and give the calcium to the plant. Does that make sense? So that's why like checking your pH all day, those are snapshots and they can vary like what time of the day, how far after the lights went on. You know, I mean, there's just a whole bunch of factors that go into it, but uh, the ions will move around in the soil through microbial activity and action. So yes, you want to get a mix, but what I guess that I'm saying is you don't have to obsess about it in that regard. Does that make sense? No, and I agree. I, I honestly, you know what, I've, I have obsessed about it, Kuda, and to be honest and fair with everybody listening, like, I still come back to the fact that you're, you're, it's, it's the hydration of your soil. So how effectively your soil mix can exchange gas exchange yeah. with, with the water supplied for the, the plant. And the other thing that I found is the, the, food source or the contents of what are in that soil is going to dictate more whether it's a bacterial dominated type thing versus a fungal dominated so what you're mixing in as far as amendments can become important because certain things can drive more of a bacterial digestion to happen and they can drive the growth and explosion of more pathogenic type things such as Oh, my CDs and different things mm -hmm. like that too. So, you know, there's just a lot of factors that go into that biology. Like I even think to the extent of like, I've seen discussions on, you know, KNF taking IMOs and the collections of, you know, certain by the idea behind it is that you're collecting a certain biology from an ecosystem. You're going to grow that biology out and then you're going to add that into your soil mix. There's different processes to that, that they go through all that. But, but I've heard that guys that do that and then they add it to the soil and they're seeing actually an, an, uh, an improvement of the current biology that's there, not necessarily a change or an inoculation of a different biology is that that environment was the best for it. And what you added became a biostimulant for what was there versus an inoculation for what you didn't have there. So it still comes down to what is in your soil mix and how are you watering that to dict and what your plant is calling for and propagating to really dictate what is actually happening in your soil, whether you're adding a compost tea, whether, you're, you know, I think certain compost and, and like you're saying, Coot with the worm casting, yeah, you're definitely adding 
a lot of different humic substances too with that. So there's, it's not just enzymes or biology. I mean, there's a whole dynamic to it a lot. Right. Right. And, and that's why, uh, I find, I take fault with, uh, certain organizations that, uh, are monetizing bad science. You know, it depends who you talk to. If you talk to the person that lives and breathes by their newt program. Okay. So whatever that might be, uh, some brand, you know, it doesn't matter that part. Um, and they missed the picture that it is, it's a, it's a balance of chemistry. It's a balance with, of botany. It's biology. The chemistry is a tiny, tiny, tiny component. Um, if you look at a molecule, the formula for uh, type two, which is the one that dominates the plant world, uh, type two chlorophyll, when you look it up uh, in a reference, you'll see that uh, this is what I love this one. Okay, so I know the first part of the molecule formula. Okay, one, one magnesium atom, one. Okay, four nitrogen, Round it. and the rest, about 50 carbon, about another 30, 40 hydrogen, and a shitload of oxygen. So I want somebody from the fertilizer industry to please explain to me what a magnesium-hungry plant needs, means, the definition. Does it have more than, does each molecule use two magnesium ions i mean is it well, like you know i would say i'd still say though that it would it would make a difference if the plant's trying to make more chlorophyll can you right? repeat that the Dude, each chlorophyll that was... only has one mag one magnesium molecule but yeah but, if but the, plant the, is the way it's built up <clears throat> he said it's that. four nitrogen okay i'll look it up I, I got i can oh. look it up i've got a window open here so I mean, I, the first time I, I, I looked at it a few years ago, I started laughing. I couldn't believe a, it. There's a high so similarity between human hemoglobin, which yes. is what makes red blood cells, and yes. chlorophyll. The largest difference between the two is hemoglobin has iron in the middle. Right. And chlorophyll has a magnesium in the middle. That's why in, well, starting in the 50s, they used to sell some crap on TV to uh, cure iron-poor blood. Okay, but yeah, all right. So here's chlorophyll number two, sometimes known as uh, iron to make chlorophyll, and we need magnesium to make yep. the. I was going to so, mention a lot of crustaceans. They also have that same thing, but they use copper instead right. of iron and magnesium. So here's the chlorophyll. Fifty-five carbon. This is one molecule. One. Fifty-five chlorophyll ions. Seventy hydrogen ions six oxygen four nitrogen and one magnesium one hmm. one wow so and i want to say it requires like 16 photons to to sequester one carbon yeah and you got ah, 50, we and go. you got 50 of the carbon skeletons in that one molecule that you're talking about right there now what gas okay. is uh i guess Kansan's referring to is that if you were to look at a red blood cell not only the formula 
not only the formula, but the goddamn structure is so close it's science fiction. And the only difference is that instead of that magnesium atom, it has, as he accurately iron. said, an uh, 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 iron. Same for nitrogen. The same, almost exactly the same chlorophyll, or chlorophyll, uh, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. And when you start looking at the, the complexity of what a plant does, they listen to all this jibber-jabber from the grow, uh, fertilizer companies. They're just talking up your ass. I mean, they'll tell you anything to get some money out of you. I mean, the one I love is that we're going to wake up microbes because they're all sleepy and stuff. So if I don't give you $700 for a gallon of your swill, I got lazy ass microbes. Who comes up with this stuff? <laughs> I mean, what, they go out on 10 day drunk and come back and let's write the stupidest shit we can down and put it on a label. They'll buy it. And I'm afraid they they're right. They'll line up to buy it, Coop. Yeah, but line up to, to buy magnesium it. Hungry in, uh, so magnesium hungry or calcium deficient, right? Oh, or calcium yeah. Just, hang on a second. I, I'm gotta, really thinking that that has more to do with, with uh, oh, you're taking off. I got to, yeah, I got to bow out. Just let me bow out real quick, guys. It's been fun. Yeah, Thanks, good. Eagle. It's nice to see you, Coop. Uh, appreciate you, Smiley. Johnny, Gus, it's been great. I don't know where Red Pill went, dude. I'm but here. I mean, awesome, Steve, man. Take it easy, man. All right, brother. Have a good one. Have a good one, guys. Thank you, Cascadian. Thanks, Cascadian. But, but like, uh, if uh, say we put a plant under a more intense light, that's when most people are noticing these these kind of conditions, right? They got the big new LED light, throw it under. That's what happened to me. Whatever. But um, I think that the you just change the environment, so you're changing the demand on what the plant is trying to produce too. So now it may show that magnesium or that calcium kind of thing is as a response to the change in the environment, you know, and, and that's where you have to kind of supplement that to catch it up. It's like, it's like if the plant was, if you were used to walking three miles a day and then had to go run a marathon is kind of how I relate to it in my head, your body's going to demand a lot more from what your nutrition is and your water intake and all that. If you're trying to run that marathon, you know what I mean? I would just say walking. this in the kindest way that I can. Be very, very, very afraid of anybody who has a solution in search of a problem. And what I would say is that the majority of people coming from the uh, uh, fertilizer side of things would have benefited from at least a semester. You know, it's like a doctor doesn't take any classes on nutrition, right? So fertilizer salesmen don't have to have anything anything to know about botany or cell biology. Don't care about nutrition. You know, oh no, we don't want to mess with that stuff. You know, no, no. Here, just put this in your injector, and you know, yeah, or your uh, true blue mats, or whatever. You know, whatever. And yeah, they all get taken care of. Um, look. Plants are only healthy when we give them the materials necessary. They got this down. Seriously, they got this down. Mm -hmm. And the less, you the less you dick around with the chemistry in that soil, I'm s put your energy in the worm bin. If you want, let's say you want to use. Oh, 
God. Let's say you wanted to use. Uh, I was just thinking. Pick something. Let's, let's take bat guano. Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Okay. Put it in the worm bin. Dude, you know what? I chopped the top off a of pumpkin and put a handful of worms in there. And in a week and a half, I'm not even joking, it turned into compost basically. It was fucking awesome. And then after like 10, after like, what was it? A couple weeks. Okay. The seeds were it, the only thing left were seeds yeah and then it turned uh after a couple weeks after that they sprouted and then i threw them in the field next to me you know now i'm pretty sure there's pumpkins growing in the field next to me but let's take this yeah. out of the cannabis realm because this is really important when yeah. a seed sprouts there's more energy in that seed than that the plant that comes out of that seed will ever have. Think about that. If you eat, uh, say, for example, a few years ago, I was ecstatic when research was released that eating broccoli sprouts was far healthier than eating broccoli. I thought, oh, my God, finally, I can eat broccoli without having to taste it, you know, in the form of a sprout. Okay. It's like alfalfa sprouts. Is there anything healthier than alfalfa sprouts? I mean, and parts. So when we use seed, sprouted seeds, and that's all malting means. That's it means nothing else other than the seed was sprouted. Period. Yeah. Um, when we add that to the soil, that energy gets transferred into the biology of that soil and that's what makes it so effective and we're talking about mm -hmm. something that's about 80 cents a pound no wonder the fertilizer people are aghast <laughs> they can't make money on it yeah and i shoot my mouth yeah just go to the home brewster and get it for you know <laughs> they sell it now that i know yeah. that i was so i was sprouting all kinds of seeds the in the early days the most immediate results i see with the organics you know and uh i'll always stay tried and true to it is fucking corn sprout tea yeah you know what you're dealing with there okay the so the botanical name for uh corn is zea zea right okay and in 1938 in sprouted corn malted corn whatever you want to call it um they discovered what later became it was the first cytokinin ever discovered, uh, you know, by scientists. Oh, and so wow. they named it in honor of the plant it came from. So that's the, uh, you can find information on that uh, cytokinin called zeatine, Z-E-A-T-I-N-E. -E. Oh, so when you it. sprout corn, like you're doing, you're re it, the plant, uh, the seed is releasing, and that's a powerful, powerful, People want to talk about PGRs. That's one of the big ones is ZFT. That and triactinol. Well, then that's where you get your alfalfa. See, yeah. only alfalfa can produce that compound. Just like in brown oh. kelp, only brown kelp, not okay. not red, not green, but only brown. Well, I've produce. had similar results with the corn with the alfalfa. Yes. Very but alginic acid, only only brown, the only plant on this universe that can <laughs> create alginic acid is brown kelp. And here's another thing is stale beer. Stale beer. Well, oh, yeah, uh, you'd have a lot of yeast activity, sure. Boiled potato water. 
Oh, sure. Shit. Immediately, dude. It's crazy because the start, like the plant, like yeah. it only uses the starch when it needs it. Well, the plant must be hungry because every time I give it potato water, um, it, I mean, yeah, you got potassium in there too, but I mean, the starches from it, there's more starches and carbohydrates in there, I'd imagine, than there is potassium after. I don't know. I really don't know, but I see. I don't either. Results. And I don't study it. I know is all I know is that if I take good manure or quality compost, compost especially, yeah. and I run it through a worm bin, then whatever's there is there. And, uh, you know, if somebody has a better lab report or something, Hey, you know, bless you and have a good life. Uh, I'm not paying anybody to look at my worm castings. I look at the plants and I don't grow that much. I mean, I just grow for myself. I'm even more yeah. concerned about how my tomatoes are going to look this year. And, uh, I don't care too much about the turnips. God, why would anybody plant that? Um, but you know what I'm saying? You know, I just, it's just gardening. I don't, you know, so I don't. What is the benefit of algenic acid? If, if uh, seaweed kelp is the only plant in the universe that makes it. Well, the big one for uh, you fellows that, uh, excuse me, men and women that grow outdoors is that algenic acid can hold up to 300 times its own weight in water. So as a uh, agent that assists, not cure, but can assist in maintaining a more stable hydration level in your soil would be a big player. But not only that, think about this. Kelp grows, uh, the brown kelp, the type, the, the North Atlantic grows, uh, let me do, I got to convert and see two, 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 three, three, three. Yeah. Can grow 300 meters a year, hundred feet, excuse me, a hundred meters. I apologize. I apologize. I got it backwards. A hundred meters a year. That's 300 feet without a root system. It's sitting in salt water all life. We know that I'm not, I don't want to get step anybody's religious beliefs. Trust me, but life came out of the ocean. So it sits there in the water and it soaks up, except it does not soak up sodium, but it soaks up all the elements that a plant needs because it is a plant, right? Meaning that those elements are, have to be chelated inside of the plant so that we harvest it we're taking this plant that's nothing but not just all 83 elements in the right balance not what the fertilizer person wants to tell you but exactly what a plant needs and not only that about 350 to 400 secondary metabolites algenic acid mannitol fucoidin i mean the list goes on and on and on it's what for animals you want stronger horse, you feed, you add kelp to their diet. I give my uh, dog a teaspoon in the morning with her breakfast and, and their evening meal. The dog is an example of a perfect uh, dog. The, the, the coat, the, you know, in a breed that is, su is suspect to a lot of uh, problems, uh, bulldogs in general, you know, from hip problems and other things. I also give her turmeric another plant uh but the benefits from kelp are so here's a good place to go look for information this is a place in ireland so that's why the url is the way it is just put in uh, seaweed.ie which is ireland that's dr michael geary it's probably one of the most important 
portals on the entire web when it comes to marine, as they're called, marine algaes. And there's three classes, red, green, and uh, brown. And the brown's the one we want to see in our soil mixes. And our worm bins. Because That's really good to know. It's great to know. That, that website, you can spend six months there reading through. And this this right is academic now. stuff. This isn't stoner horseshit. I mean, this is science. Yeah, that's pretty packed full of... It's, it's got a lot of stuff here. Okay, look, hit the nutrition. Okay, when you hit that website on the left-hand side... Got it. Uh, there's a menu. Hit nutrition. I am there. When you, I'm at when the you do... You'll see columns, and there's three on the left, which are brown kelp, then yeah, green, and like I think reds on the right. But if you start looking at some of those compounds I mentioned, you'll see that brown has a lot, none in green and none in red, alginic acid, mannitol, uh, fucoidin. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. late. oh, yeah. I mean... There's a big difference here. Yes. Um, but there are some positive things from the red that you can see here that you could be used. That, that could but be here's used. your problem finding we, we red. Red contains a compound that is a natural thickening agent, carrageenan or something like that. So the demand for that on a commercial level, if you do find red, you're going to pay through the yin-yang. And see, with brown kelp, they could care less about us because Should the they, main focus is uh, yeah. animal feed, livestock. They can't do nothing about it. <laughs> um, uh, biomedical stuff. And also, yeah. and I'm not a brewer, but there's some stage in making beer that they strain the, the liquid through the kelp to give it clarity. For, it's cloudy naturally. It's not all, but you get the idea. And anyway, so they strain it through the kelp and and then, of course, they uh, ship it to Japan to make uh, the different varieties like for sushi, kombu, the big knotted one for like uh, miso soup. And anyway. Yeah. That stuff's delicious. Oh, absolutely. And healthy. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. But you got to be careful. The cannabis people tell me that, you know, it's got arsenic and uh, heavy metals. Oh, I don't listen to those fucking I know. wizards. I don't either. You know, they're I'm just, just more a... rude about it than you probably are. <laughs> hey, what's up, so long, I just can't. Okay. Yeah, so that, I fucking... you know. Hello, Cooch, Red Bill, you know, Smiley, Jack, Eagle, and Gus Close. Did, did anyone see me show my puppy a minute ago? Yes, we did. Beautiful dog. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of dog almost now? 20. That's why uh, mostly right on. he might have a little bit of boxer, in him, but mostly. Bit. I love mine's boxer. mostly knucklehead. Like, but... <laughs> that's that's how I should have said it. I should have just sent a stubborn ass asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, lucky, I'm lucky he's a routine dog because I thought really <laughs> if I was to get a certain proximity with him, I would wake him up and get him all excited, but. He, he's such a routine dog. He loves sleeping at this period of time. So thank God. Yeah, my, my new adventure is drones. So I got one uh, pissed me off too. 
not pissed me off, but you know, it's like buying a computer. So I got it the first of the year and it does 42 miles an hour. So the company released an update, uh, you know, the new version. 60. And the new one will do 48 miles an hour. So I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. Yeah, so anyway. What Is do that you need a to go fast? Yeah. Is that a racing drone? No, no. Uh, but it, no, it's just a, a commercial DJI. It's a uh, Mavic Air. Yeah. So, yeah, for uh, guys like me that... Are you going mean, to put I've light done, on I've done, the, I've done the racing. But I mean the real hardcore racing where you put a shitty camera in it because there's about a 40% you're going to crash it. And uh, like the world record's 160 miles an hour at the, well, before the pandemic, they used to have the big show in Vegas every year. Uh, yeah. Outside of Vegas, not downtown Vegas, but yeah, these drones, man, doing 150, 160 miles an hour, pretty cool. How quick How quick uh, do they accelerate to that? Is that oh, immediate. I mean, cheers, yeah. 420. That's cool. Cheers. Cheers, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, now, the new, the ones where you wear the helmet, you know, you got the visual, the glass thing, the PV something, I can't remember, the PVG or something, PVI, whatever it is. That's a, a rich guy's hobby. I mean, shit, the new one from DJI is like 1600 I mean, I was willing to spend, you know, 750 but I ain't spending 1600 You know, the goddamn <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's, they got yeah. some pretty fucking fancy shit out there. I mean, if you're going to make it a pretty good hobby, yeah. yeah, I'd start out small, right? You know, you always start out small. Never um, under, never underestimate the buying power of a bored male in this society. I don't care if it's what it is. You know, building keyboards, you know, mechanical keyboards. These guys spend a thousand dollars on a goddamn keyboard. What to type an email? You know, uh, but you get the idea. I mean, guys are just, you know, it's it's something—a boat, a car. You know, they'll, you know, yeah, whatever. It's like three thousand dollars for sneakers. I'll tell you what, they ain't got a device that'll make my farts smell like fucking candy yet. So. <laughs> got the OG farts. Yeah, they got uh, filtered shorts, bro. You never heard of that shit? Yeah, the charcoal. <laughs> yeah, charcoal filter. Well, somebody mentioned metal. mushrooms, <laughs> like the inexpensive drones, like the really inexpensive drones, you know, like the 200 stuff you get for a birthday party, make you, you watch your kids and stuff. Those are great for foraging mushrooms. Uh, dude, yeah, that's what I was, dude. God damn it, I love it, Coot. I love it. I was FPV. Uh, uh, thank you, Jess and Bean. Put it on chat. Yeah, they're called <laughs> FPV uh, or F FPV. Where you wear the okay? Your like, point of view. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I point guess of view. Flight point okay. of view. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's sweet. Bro. I don't even. I didn't. Like even I know said, that. I'm not paying. I'm not spending sixteen hundred dollars to get a a helmet hey, so I look like hey, Darth Vader, you know, in a drone, so I can do, you know, whatever. But insurance agency pay whatever blows money. your hair back, right? I mean, you know, have fun with it. You know, back in the day, so I thought you did. Have you thought about putting lidar on it? Search for Canada. I got that on my iPad. Gorilla grows. Uh, it has LiDAR uh, uh, camera, and on the new uh, Apple iPhone 12 Max or whatever it's called, the, t the big one, the most expensive, it has li a LiDAR uh, lens uh, uh, with the regular long, you know, regular cell phone lenses. 
does it do all the calculations and everything for you yeah you can yeah do some pretty cool stuff uh like let's say um okay the new uh, ipads is going to be released this month you ready for this it's got all an right. m1 chip in it with 16 gigs of ram in a tablet okay <laughs> with a Thunderbolt port so you can hook it up to a real Thunderbolt hub. Uh, that's more power than a lot of PC desktops. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of those calculated stuff on AI and, and uh, AR are going to be so far advanced with that level of power in you know, like I said, a tablet, my God, you know, oh, and the, and the top one, the big one, the most expensive model, the 13 inch, the screen is a mini LED. Can you imagine that? Man. For each, uh, dot is its wow. own diode, like a, te a television, like OLED right, right. or yeah. QLED. Yeah. Bring cash. It's Apple. You know. <laughs> Yeah, pretty yeah. soon we're gonna have uh, butt plugs that are uh, witches brooms. Yeah. You know? Dude, I do got a question. I did want to get back to on soil. Sure. If you guys mind changing? Absolutely. You mentioned basalt, and you mentioned the importance of it being paramagnetic. And I'm just yes. curious, what does paramagnetic mean? Okay. Paramagnetic means that it carries a charge. Let me give an example of what. It is, and then I, I can bring it back to what it is. Okay, so clay is a uh, platelet. Think of a racetrack oval, but you grabbed it and you pinched the end so it's pointed on each end. You get the idea. That's what it's shaped like. And it should carry a negative charge through a, a number of reasons. Ag agricultural practices, uh, excess water like in the Northwest, you never Oh, that, oh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, so you could go out there and rototill it every 30 minutes for the next two months. And you're not going to break that clay up because it's being held together by... Oh, I, I didn't finish. So, so it carries a negative charge, but through bad practices, around the edge, it can pick up and start being a positive charge. So like when you were a kid, remember? Two positives won't adhere, but a positive and negative do. So that's what clay is. It's it's the clay platelets that the uh, it wouldn't be chemistry, but it's like a holder. It's a binder kind of guy. Yeah. Right? So like when we had humus products, yeah. I mean, and, and I don't mean you have to use humic acid, but say compost. The real benefit there, besides a number of benefits, one of the big ones is that it removes that charge so that now the platelets move apart. Why is that important? Because that allows air pathways and water pathways to the root system. And communications, yeah, between right. that. And so that what happens when we add a paramagnetic yep. material like basalt, it carries electrical charge too. So it works. Because at the very core, you know what, you know what uh, a true soil biologist, if you, if you ask them, what is soil? Their answer would be rotted animal and plant material and shattered rock. Well, how'd the rock get shattered? 
uh, then you'd have to look into the organism called lichen. And over millions and billions of years, lichen shattered enough rock that uh, soil was formed. So now back to your question. Uh, oh, so that's what the what uh, what the basalt or uh, granite can do in our soils is stabilize that electrical exchange because the whole thing is done by all a plant doesn't just soak up the calcium; it sends out the a signal and exchange it uh, 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 to hydrogen atoms. Where does it get hydrogen? From the atmosphere. Right? Yep. I've said that too. Now, here's a website that this is a not-for-profit. This is a, I think, it, I might get my numbers wrong, a 5013C, a not-for-profit organization. And it's all about oh, rock right. dust. It's remineralize the earth. And it has an archive of, of, of uh, uh, white papers going back a half a century. Oh, wow. And the improvements made in third world countries to increase the nutrient uh, profile and the food the density. You know, it's like kale's more healthy than iceberg lettuce, that kind of thing. And so in, if, uh, in the foods that they're used to eating, it's important that we get help them achieve a higher... Uh, more vitamins, whatever term you want to use, okay? Uh, more magnesium, potassium, whatever in the actual plant that it accumulates. See, and that's where I think the cannabis uh, industry, listening to the uh, guys with their rubber nose and their little top hat, call themselves consultants, they're trying to get you away from understanding the thing and want you to focus on something that's tangible so they can say, well, you need more calcium. You need more, you know, you need this. You need, and if you don't, man, you're running the risk of not having dank. You'll be dankless, which is, I guess, worse than dickless or something. Um, <laughs> what part of the world do you live in? I'll find you a good worm source. I'm in Michigan. I have a great worm source. That's oh, too perfect. Large. And you're dancing, yeah. Hey, that goes back to Vegas. I'm asking for questions Vegas? for the sake of discussion, but I've heard that paramagnetic means that it responds to a magnetic force. Well, it is a it, it is a magnetic force. So it would need clay. So would it need clay in there? Uh, clay is in everything. I mean, that's well, our, our soil. In some places, yeah. have more clay. But when they say that, for example, okay, here's a good reason not to use an overdose of magnesium. When you were a little boy, uh, or anybody was a child, and you got uh, the flu or something like that, milk where you had, you had diarrhea, you'd get your mom would give you milk of magnesia, right? Yeah. Because it would tighten up everything so that you weren't having diarrhea. Well, it does the right. same thing in the soil. It restricts the flow of water and air in the soil because it tightens up that flora network. And it's like the worst thing you could possibly do is hide. And, and then people are trying to do dry back too. Which is that you probably get little <laughs> seeds, is you know. Yeah, it's a it's a drilling term too. It's known as clay aging, and they yep. use that type of thing. They'll add certain 
chemicals like magnesium to bind that so that clay power particle together so the drill can pull it up and out of the hole easier too you know so there's certain things that they yeah these are known things for sure calcium will wash that away and magnesium will bind it together and yeah potassium will do something different like i said before i think most people would benefit they just stay away from their plants <laughs> well and it is and it does raise a good point though Coot, what you're talking about here with magnesium is the fact that you've always been on this like well what's a magnesium hungry plant because i've heard that recommendation thrown around so many times about oh sure that. You know why? Epsom salt. And it's like, oh, my fucking God, dude. The Epsom salt's going to kill so much shit in your soil. My dogs are barking. Honey, get the Epsom salt. I'm glad you brought up, Swine. I'm glad you brought up uh, Epsom salts because that's really at the core of my argument. So Epsom salts, which isn't salt, that's a British term. Uh, Let's use the, what a chemist would call it. Uh, magnesium sulfate. Now, both of those are water soluble. So what a neat deal, man, you can put it water and stir it around and you got a tea. If I never heard that word again, I'll be, I'll be okay. Tea. Uh, everything has to be a tea. You know, it can't just be, you know, I put some shit in water and poured it, but whatever. Um, most soils are almost always, especially potting soils, commercial potting soils are almost always deficient in sulfur. And the creation of terpenoids and terpenes, secondary metabolites on this whole planet, not just plants, us, it requires sulfur. And for an example, how many times have you talked to people who grow in core or seen it online and they'll say, you know, I just can't get the aroma or the taste that I I feel that I should, right? That's a pretty common, well, here's the reason. Core contains zero sulfur, zero. But if you add a little bit of gypsum, which is calcium sulfate, there's your cure. It doesn't require magic bottles and, you know, gypsies and genies, you know, it's... Gypsies and genies. Yeah, it just put some uh, gypsum that you can buy at Home Depot for the last time I checked. I think it was like $5 for 25 pounds. Here, here's a correlation. Um, if you've ever been to Yellowstone and you, you've smelled those bubbling geysers, straight up rotten eggs. That's sulfur. There you, you go. You ever smell anyone's bad BO? Straight yeah. up sulfur. Right. Why? Yeah, but it's because you don't, want to be, you don't want to smoke sulfur, though. So that's not. No, 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 no. But I'm just saying. I just want to say that sulfur, sulfur is essential in making amino acids and proteins as well. Yes. So yep. That's right. Well, here's where the anti-sulfur thing started. In the '80s, uh, there were five growth stores: two in Seattle and three in Portland. One of those was owned by George Cervantes. I used to go to it. And it was common for growth stores because there weren't that many. And uh, people, they would rent you a, a sulfur burner. And then you would buy uh, sulfur oxide. It's uh, S uh, oxygen, four, one uh, ion of sulfur and four ions of uh, oxygen. Okay? Uh. And you would put it in the burner 
in a room, tent, whatever, and they didn't have tents, so a room, and you would burn the sulfur, and now you've created, you've gone from sulfur oxide to sulfur dioxide. That's the uh, acid rain stuff. Okay, and it was a dead giveaway, like, why does your house smell like rotten eggs? You know, so it was kind of a risk. But anyway, so it was a fungicide, because here in the Northwest, we have a lot of powdery mildew. Uh, but regardless, so that started the whole idea that, well, sulfur is a fungicide. I can't use that. There's well, still yeah, don't burn that it. Do that, don't burn it. I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. There's still people that fucking do I, that. that are oh, I know. Yeah. I know. <clears throat> you ever uh, accidentally eat grapes that weren't washed and it tastes straight up like a firecracker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, sometimes these fer these uh, fertilizer guys have a solution in search of a problem. You know, it's just insane. Yeah, you know, searching for a problem, not understanding. But you're dead right about the sulfur, man. That. There is the argument I heard actually about micronized sulfur, the, the spray and the use of that foliarly. And yeah. a lot of guys were using that to treat for russet mites. And, and there is the argument that it was actually more, um, you know, assisting like a foliar feed in plant health because of the lack of sulfur. And it was actually creating a healthier uh, plant to be able to, you know, fight you off. I guess like, you, are, you haven't yeah, heard the latest from uh, my nemesis. Uh, Scotty Granola, the famous uh, uh, cannabis consultant, who said that neem is more dangerous than Roundup. Um, his latest one this past week is that a compost tea uh, will take care of russet mites. So see, there you go. All you need is a $600 tea brewer, and uh, you can become the Mr. I'll get rid of your russet mites and come over and spray your plants, you know. See, some things, you know, if you just go to a, a cannabis consultant, the answers are real simple. Well, it's that's what I was getting Sometimes at. in life when you have a simple question, you want to go ask a simpleton. So that's how we got uh, the cure of uh, compost teas to kill spider mites. How compost tea would kill an insect is beyond my feeble mind, but maybe I should take his course. Or, or, all right, now I know I can sign up for his Patreon account. There you go. Got to sell those T-shirts. Just sell me two dollars a month. That's all I'm asking. Just give me two dollars a month. Okay, sure. <laughs> what you're doing <laughs> contributes to the channel and what we're doing. <laughs> I'd be embarrassed to ask somebody to send me two dollars a month because my response to that kind of shit is, "Why don't you just go get a job?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put on your big boy do, pants. Do, you know. Do you believe? Do you believe the idea that plant health, uh, the, the idea of the plant health pyramid, where if you improve the functionality of the plant in a whole system, where it can improve its defense systems in of order course. to off the mites itself. Of course. So yeah, then, what would you say about that the idea? Then I still, I still maintain that that genotype is far more important than phenotype. If you don't give the plant what it, a plant needs, how could it possibly maximize its genetic potential? 
It can. So why is it so far-fetched to think that spraying a compost tea or giving the plant what it needs would would actually be a correction for that? If you do believe that improving plant health would well, I don't. give its system the way to fight that. See, I don't believe that at all. I, I oh, think, I I think that compost teas are the biggest canard on this planet in the, in the cannabis scene. Because answer this for me, just, and I'm not trying to be argumentative, but I mean, let's use logic. Let's say the biggest issue facing the human race is food, food uh, production, food distribution, right? I'm not talking about most of the world is out trying to get enough wood to boil some water to make a meal. That's their, what they're up against. Not do I have the right strain? But yeah. if, this, if these compost teas were that good, why aren't they sitting in, at the UN signing billion dollar contracts to increase food production in every, in every uh, country around the world? Why is it? Why is it just compost teas are just for cannabis growers? There's a lot more than that that goes into that question, Coot. That's kind of an unfair question right there. Because there's a lot more politics and money that goes involved in that than some. I'm just glad that tonight Coot's getting the wrath of Smiley, not me. That's like saying that's like saying why doesn't they why don't they all use barley then? That's like the same argument. Well, if barley works so good, why ain't the whole world using fucking malted barley then? It's the same argument. That's all I'm making. Yo, the point. Can you guys hear me? I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cannabis is the greatest substance on the planet, yet there's still some people that think it's the fucking devil's weed, dude. So, yeah, you yeah. can't go by logic with a lot of shit. People, yeah, they just don't know. They don't know better. It's part of it, and it's the big egg money that's stopping the rest of it, you know? That's my take. Well, I, I, don't think, I don't think I made myself. Let me try it another way. In countries where starvation is ongoing and the rate of death, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, 120 years ago in this country, if you had eight children, you were lucky if three made it to adulthood. Um, we're not that far removed. And I agree. I, I, you won't find anybody more against big ag than me, Monsanto, Bayer, science, all of it. I, you know, I'm right there with you, but I mean, why aren't these people in India that has huge, huge, massive hunger, if this actually worked? Well, they because are in India and they are in other countries and they are working a movement, but it's more than that. They're, it's more than if it just works. It's if they can make money on if it works. That's the difference. It's, it's power control. And greed and ego. Money. Crazy. Ego, society, power, and greed. Oh. What the governments are made of, man. You know, what these worlds are made of. Uh, here's, okay, let's, let me try it one more way. So I've been around this can, uh, uh, compost tea for almost 20 years. I do a lot of research through universities, research centers, what have you. Where is the evidence this works? Um, I mean, okay. I know the anecdotal stuff, 
Well, you know, I, I got a much better crop on my cannabis last year because I did teas. Okay. Well, that's, one day... not, that's, you know, that's fine. But I mean, you can look at studies like out of Baylor University, seven years, seven years of applying compost teas and couldn't find a single reason to continue. The same argument there, Coot. Where's the evidence for that, too? I'm just saying, like, the compost tea thing is a whole dynamic. You can say compost tea, and it means a hundred different things. Right. right. And, and a lot of what... And there lies what, the problem, because it starts. the problem starts with is there's no regulatory or statutory definition of compost or worm castings. Right. None. Right. So if I make a compost tea with my worm casting, let's say it does these magical things. Okay, fine. Oh, yeah. That doesn't mean you're going to get those results in Michigan unless well, you're doing the same, the going through the same processes to get something of that same caliber. That's, that's my... That's been okay, something so that's I'll, known, I'll That's what they've known about it. That's why there's a lot of people talking about not brewing teas. That's a that's why. Oh, I heard that one. That one cracked me up because one of my objections, 18 years ago, is that why do you have to bubble it? I remember my grandfather 65 years ago taking the manure that got stacked out behind his barn for a year or two, and he'd throw it in a bucket of water and stir it around and pour it on the plants. Now it's like a new invention. We're doing extracts. You got to even. There. I mean, I don't know. When I when I took a cutting of, of my tobacco plant, all right. Uh, I I simply, I well I dip I dipped the the root. The cutting was basically a part of the stalk, okay, where a big a main leaf was based off. So I cut off like a. A little not a little node, you know what I'm saying? And I dipped it in some aloe and uh some freaking uh biochar that's that's charged with some uh that has some kelp in there too. Mm -hmm. And then uh I also so yeah, I did that and I okay, I literally I just dunked it, I kept it in a little thing you know, a root plug for a little bit. And it, I was like, eh, I didn't like it. So I put it in a jar of water and I just pull it out every once in a while, dunk it, dunk it here and there, you know, dunk it here and there. And then a couple of days later, I grew roots on it. And I was like, you know what? The hell with all the fucking Mojo Jojo out there. It's really easy. The plants want to grow, you know? <laughs> Smiley, I just thought of something. This will answer your question. Because it was a good question, and you deserve a fair answer. So here's how I figured out barley, or postulated it would work. In baking, I'm talking about French baking. Uh, you have four ingredients. Water, uh, salt, some kind of yeast, natural or whatever, and flour, right? That's it. They're also allowed to use what they call diastatic malt. And I never knew what that meant. I just knew that in the baking uh, sector, you bought from a bakery supply something called diast or malt or sometimes diastatic malt, right? Yes. Had no idea what it was, just, you know. And then uh, one day I'm hiking up in the mountains here and I had my phone with me and I took a break. 
So I thought, I wonder what diastatic means. So I looked it up on my, you know, dictionary thing. And what it said is that diastatic means that the enzymes are still alive. They haven't been neutralized, which is what happens when we take barley and make barley syrup. It's a wonderful sweetener, right? Then macrobiotics use it to sweeten food, but it has no enzyme action to speak of because the heat neutralized yeah. or deconstructed uh, the enzymes. So then I started thinking, well, you know, yeast is a single cell fungi. So those holes in bread, because fungi is more closer to humans and animals than they are plants. They take in air, they use oxygen and expel CO2. So those holes in breads are from the yeast, single-celled fungi exhaling in that the more active the yeast is, the more holes you get. So you've seen like focaccia bread or ciabatta has a lot of holes, right? Wonder bread, not so much holes. So I thought, well, if this diastatic malt stuff is increasing the yeast activity, why wouldn't it increase the uh, fungal and yeast populations in the soil? And that was the basis then of testing it out. My, it wasn't even a theory, it was just a what if. So that's established science. That goes back centuries. Maybe they didn't understand it, but you barley increased you know, the size ahead. of the loaves and made it more palatable. It wasn't go hard on. and dense like a rock. Does that make sense? Yeah, going back to something you said a while back is how you think people reduced a lot of shit down to chemistry. But that's one thing where I think I took a lot of uh, knowledge from is culinary. And the same thing can be with, applied to uh whatever the marketing ploy or whatever knf but there's something between bakery culinary actual organic chemistry and knf that made me think this is all basically the same thing this is just some formula you mix one thing to another you get a chemical form uh reaction and you get you know x result from doing it so I, I think what I, I, maybe I should clarify, when I say chemistry, it's this, I mean, do you need really uh, potassium oxide or uh, hydroxide in the soil? See, I mean, there's a difference between adding potassium hydroxide than there is, say, the potassium that's in, you know, the kelp or other uh, plant materials. See what I mean? Because that's no, no. that's not as sexy as being able to just oh just yeah put a teaspoon that's all you need and stir it around but that's what I mean though, by chemistry. To me though, I'm more I think it is more sexy to concoct, you know, like <laughs> almost on an alch alchemy level. Exactly. Different things that that active ingredient is there. We're not doing solutions and extractions and purifications, crystallizations and anything, but we're mixing, we're, you know, we're making, I don't know, in like a witch's cauldron, a little concoction of something that's got all those hormones or whatever is there that we're looking for. 
Right. So th- that's what I kind of like. I, I, I'm someone that I, I like the science. I, maybe that's a bad word to apply it to. I don't know. Because sometimes I get I get labeled as something that would be more of a science denier, depending on what we were talking about. But I guess I have selective favoritism towards the things I like about chemistry, you know, and I do like that. I, I really, and I'm saying I took that from like bakery and barbecue channels. I would watch like how to make apple strudels or how to make uh huli huli chicken. Right. And I'm like, man, these people are like making this proprietary blend of a, you know, single different amounts of, we would call nutrients, but they're calling ingredients. And these ingredients add up to a recipe the same way this nutrients adds to, say, a a soil recipe or a feed chart. So I was able to apply a lot of that. Same thing, methodology. Chances are, if you're someone that really understands why certain recipes have certain ingredients and certain amounts of those ingredients, you can get your head around mixing soil and figuring sure. why the plants are calling for this amount of nutrients and or this type of nutrients and that amount of nutrients. I I was on a show with uh, Tad Hussey a few weeks ago and um, somebody on the panel or whatever Ask him about uh, compost teas. Now, his father was in at the very beginning. You know, even long before the book was published, uh, and what have you. So, somebody asked him about you know teas, and he kind of vacillated. I was fascinated um, because I don't even talk about it with. You know, just whatever you want to use them, do them, you know, fine. I do believe this, that if a person makes their own uh, materials like or in Smiley's Garden, where you live in an area where there's a lot of uh, organic uh, farmers, more so than, say, uh, Iowa or, you know, Missouri or something, where you're going to get something good. And you use that in your soil. That's where I'm saying that I'm not so sure that you're going to get all that much from a, whether you do call it an extract or a tea, whatever you want to call it. Um, now, if you're bought a bag of uh, some commercial soil that I don't think I'm going out too far on a limb, it, very unlikely it's going to be anything of quality. Um, yeah, you'll probably see some results from a tea. See what I mean? Um, never saw it and i mean i tried i you know i think no doubt there's guys that there's guys that would add like humic acids there's guys that would add you know fish fish emulsion different food sources that for sure when they add that to the soil you're going to get a pop from your the stuff you added in there no doubt but i'm just saying like as far as like actual nutrient cycling and 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 whatnot you know there there's some 
thought process and evolution to the mindset that changed, but Elaine's really never did. She was always talking about having a quality input of compost, which they quantify in a, I believe they got trademarked now, which is like a biocomplete, biologically complete soil or whatever, but they mm -hmm. have a certain mm -hmm. methodology that they follow to quantify that. So, you know what I mean? So it does set Anyone it apart into a different marks. thing, Coot. And in a lot of ways, it's the same debate that you make for worm castings. And you're saying how your worm castings are done a certain way and they come out a certain way that's different than this other guy's way. So, you know, you've, you kind of make the same arguments both that, that they well, do too. That's see, what I I'm have, getting at. I have 10 years of research at Cornell University that I can reference with people like Dr. Clive Edwards that had spent 65 years studying uh, composting worms. Um, his book, uh, uh, Vermiculture Technology, is uh, used in upper division classes at uh, academic institutions around the world. See, and what I'm trying to explain is that in, in case after case after case, we can look at research on vermicompost internationally, nationally, um, and there's this huge body of work. When I use the same uh, science search engines and go try to find something for compost tea, it just isn't there. It just isn't there. And I'm, not, I'm trying to be fair because I do research on stuff all the time for soil. That's what I did for the last 20 years. There used to be a, a search engine called Skyrus. I don't know what it stood for, but I know it was an acronym, S-C-I-R-U-S. So something science research, U-S maybe. Anyway, so it was, a, it was a search engine that there were no blogs, there was no advertising screeds. It was strictly peer-reviewed, double-blind studies. That's all. And um, for example, uh, Science Direct. Ooh, time out here a minute. I, I have the same thing that I, you know, I looked up the agricultural use of malted barley and I kind of ran across that same, same thing. There wasn't really any evidence for it at all. Probably not. So I'm just saying like, it's the same argument. That's all I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I mean, no, no, but the thing it, doesn't cost you, it doesn't cost you $600. Like, yeah, they're, they're not, hardly. They're not going to tell you something that's. It doesn't cost me six hundred dollars to get a five-gallon bucket either in a nylon. Yeah, but listen, dudes, ladies, nylon. That's smiley. I never understood this compost tea. You want to aerate it? If you just mix it up in a five-gallon bucket, I don't and pour it. it. No, no. Listen to me. Pour it in the soil. <laughs> There's plenty of air, or there should be plenty of air in your soil. I don't understand why you want to spend a whole bunch of time mixing up. I mean, bubbling it. I like that. I never got a bubbler ever in my life because of that. I'm not trying to defend bubbling it though. Oh, not at all. I do depend on Wait a minute. Let's go back. Let's go back to the original compost tea. I think it's. I think it's for really poor soils that need a high population, a high population of some microbial. You know shit because like dude sometimes you get you know let's say i'm a promix dude and i went and i want to go organic you know and i'm i'm using this promix in advance and i'm like fuck you know i'm just gonna flush it out and then try to bring it back to life i think something like doing a composty that's where something like that can come and help i mean there's there's no telling if there's any fix in that but 
I'm just saying that's, you know. I'm just saying the people that are actually looking under a microscope have looked at several compost teas and gone away from that as a practice because of the variabilities that can happen in temperature, water temperature, how much air is there, how much dissolved oxygen that water holds, how much biology bloomed, what food source you added. There's just so many variables. I don't think But what they've come down to is that they can control those variables better in a composting process and that they can actually quantify that biology in the compost right. and then extract that through a gentle extraction without air. They just do a gentle extraction to get the biology into the water source along with the humic acids and the minerals that are available. And then they water that to the plant and it is a direct inoculation and it is a benefit. I've seen it yeah. myself. So it's, I, I don't know. I mean, it's the same argument, though, that you make CUDA versus a bag comp, a bag worm castings or something that's made fresh. The whole difference there is the fresh biology that's going on. The minute they close that in a bag, it, it shifts that environment and that biology starts to shift. That's why there's a benefit to having it fresh. That's why you preach having your own worm casting. I'm just trying to make the point that you are, you you make the same points they do. And it's not really a different art camp or a different well, argument. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let me, uh, part company with you a little bit on that. I have watched that industry go from nothing to the most silliest claims possible. You know, we have, uh, one of her students, spent $10,000 to be a certified something. And now he's a, a, a consultant, even though he's never grown a plant in his life. Hmm. He's on going around the internet saying that compost teas will kill russet mites. D does anybody believe that? I mean, th those are just some of the things hey, that let me ask you this, though, Coot, do you think that an improvement in plant health would give the plant defense? Oh, I don't know. That's one re, when that that whole thing started several years ago. The russet and what's the other one? Broad mites, I think. Yeah. And all I know is that anybody that I knew in Oregon was having nothing but problems. So I never took cuts. What? I never I got involved in. I don't want anybody's plant. I don't care if it's the <laughs> dankiest plant on the earth. But do you do you didn't answer my question? Do you think <laughs> a very very healthy plant is able to defend itself against? sap sucking insects like russet mites or spider mites. I don't know. Yeah. It, do, it does in many other cases, but also I know this, that down in California, you know, like in Michigan, one of your universities there would be, would have the School of Agriculture. Okay, in California, it's UC Davis. And they have a portal there just for IPM. And when I go to that portal and look up, uh, you know, resolving problems on pesticides and, or not pesticides, but uh, herbivore insects and what have you. You know what I get? Something completely different than anything I hear at a Canacon. I love that name. Uh, Canacon or one of these weed shows. That's that what, what I can tell you. And if I were, if I had russet mites or broad mites, the last thing I would be listening to would be Scotty Granola. weed shows. Huh? These damn weed shows. Oh, they're horrible. <laughs> I know. I mean, they're just ridiculous. Yeah. Dude, there's this one called fucking Talking Shit with Eagles. Uh, it's, man. it's crazy, man. 
Hey, tonight, I'm glad, like I said before, I'm glad I'm not getting Smiley's wrath because I bring up a lot of kooky-ass shit, and Smiley's like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? I'm questioning well, everything. You know, here's the difference. <laughs> Here, in my mind, here's the difference. I didn't try to sell anybody anything. I would go online and post, hey, you know, I uh, here's something I did. And then all of a sudden, I got people starting companies, you know, selling it. Okay, so have fun with it. I didn't do it to monetize it. Um, that's hey, that's hey. where I come in. I didn't I didn't try to create a business. I didn't write a book, you know, with a bunch of bullshit. And that's where coming down to it, man. A lot of people would probably rather smoke a joint with you over someone who's looking for pocket change, you know, any day. You know I know one thing. I don't want to and sit down what, and smoke with the lane. People, people literally like they like. I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but they tell me like, <laughs> why don't you That's follow the, through with all your ideas? If you got this idea, why don't you do it? Yeah, yeah right. I'm Paul. thinking of it like. Get what lab. do you mean? Like I'm missing out on money? Like I'm not capitalizing on a good idea? Because it's not that. It's just literally me. I'm telling you. I just told you. I just. The human race is fucking failing. Like we shouldn't be worried about guard. People shouldn't be worried about gardening techniques for money. It's bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. It's horseshit. All of it's horseshit. Any motherfucker that has some goddamn bullshit, they're trying to sell like a sneaky little gypsy fuck. You know what, man? <laughs> gypsy fuck. Fuck you. Fuck you. You know why? Because our humanity is failing because of motherfuckers like that. And that is yeah, my mom's. I will my further. I will for the rest of my life. Any good idea, I'm gonna just tell you guys the second I have it, because anyone else holding on to that is just Bro, a dick. Blunt paste, blunt paste, and uh, iPhone, <laughs> the iPhone, dude. I came up with blunt paste. It's fucking, and, dude. I swear, no, I no. Listen, dude, I swear to God, dude. God. I, Anyway, uh, hey, anyway. I gotta ask this for Run Boy, um, Jim. He really wants to hear your thoughts on Bokashi, and I know, um, yeah. Anyway, proceed. That's why I didn't ask you about biochar either. Oh, biochar is real easy. That that one's a bit more of a problem for me because I can make the argument on both sides, and that's always a you just avoid it. It's like, you don't argue with your wife. I've been married 42 years. There's some things I don't argue about. And this would be one is that I don't want to argue or even discuss biochar. Cause like I said, I can give you evidence on both sides of the coin. So, ah, Bakashi. You like your cocaine softer heart. Okay. This was when it was at its height. We're all going to get all groovy and bakashied out and before brokashi and before grokashi. And, you know, we're just going to get all all wrapped up in it, right? I'll Let's twist talk it up about in the PCP. game. Huh? Let's talk about PCP. Yeah. So I go to the farm store and uh, they sell bran is... Uh, uh, livestock or animal feed. So I got me, and these are all 50 pound units. I got me some rice bran. I got me some wheat bran. I got me some, I don't know, four or five. I had 250 pounds of goddamn bran. 
So uh, then I got my little bottle of EM1, you know, and I made e AEM, which I later learned has made it nothing but uh, seven uh, yogurt cultures from around the world. If you went to a Whole Foods and you have to go to a brew store to get the Lambic, which is a, a lactobacillus oh, yeah. to make Lambic Kiefer beer. Works. Kiefer works. Okay. But if you got Syrian, Greek, I don't know, it was all yogurts from all these different countries. There you go. There's your EM1. So I made a batch of EM1. Now, at this point, I have to plead stupidity or ignorance. I took it down to below three, like 2.5 pH. That was the only time I had a pH in my hand was because for this silly thing. Excuse me for this uh, process. And so uh, we dried it, you know. And to make a long story short, I ended up having to pay a pig farmer to take it off my hands. I've never fucked up a plant so bad in my life. Did I over misuse it? Yes, I'll, I did everything wrong. I'll buy all that, okay? I was a complete dickhead. I killed worms, I killed plants, and then I paid a pig farmer to take it off my hands. So you can probably imagine I didn't do it a second time. <laughs> That's all I can tell you about it. It didn't uh, work. And it did not just didn't work. It was like it was a disaster. I've never had seen plants just do what that did. I thought I was on advanced nutrients or tiger bloom or something, you know, whatever the whatever the horseshit of the day was at that point. So. I wish everybody good. I mean, make their own. I certainly wouldn't be buying it. Yeah, I'd, man. I I'd, can't I'd, find a good worm source for the fucking life of me. So, I I don't know why my my mind took took me to this, but I'm thinking I'm gonna call it the pink dildo effect. And what? all right, guys, I'm out of here. I'm going to bed. Yeah, I'm out here. Stick around for the. Stick around for this. No, I'm not sticking nothing. I'm not sticking nothing. Good night, everybody. Thank you, Eagle. Eagle, you're the shit, bro. I appreciate it. Eagle bounced already. He's got to work in the morning, so I'm hosting, and I'm about ready to bounce too. I'm doing that. Well, thanks. Come on, I cannot collapse this fucking wormhole. Yeah, you did it, man. You're the one that started talking big dildos. Everybody's like, oh, fuck, I'm out, man. Yeah, no later. one wants to even hear the damn theory. off. He was like, what guys, the fuck is this dude? You guys all rock, all right? Oh, my God. See you later. All right, fine. No one can ride with me on that one. Come on. They only like black ones. No pink. <laughs> uh, so all right. Go so ahead. I, I asked ahead, this... He's a professor of uh, soil biology down at Oregon State. That's our agricultural school here in the state of Oregon is OSU down in Corvallis. So I asked him one time, uh, hey, what do you think of that, you know, Bokashi stuff? Or no, EM1. It wasn't even Bokashi, just the EM1 product. And he said, oh, you mean that yogurt stuff? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, hey, you're a good researcher. He said, figure it out. So... You know the story, right? It comes from Dr. Higa in some place in Tokyo, and then it's distributed around the world. It's a multi-level marketing thing is what it is. Some countries have adults in charge, and so they have to publish, the company has to publish the ingredients. So 
I landed in New Zealand because they are always, they're really strict, like organic certification and stuff. So I got all the uh, specific uh, strains of lacto that's in EM1. So one by one, I put them in, you know, copy and paste into Wikipedia. And I started laughing after the third one. They were all yogurts. Syrian, <laughs> Greek, uh, you know, German, or whatever. And then the one that really puzzled me, I go, that's Lambic. That's a beer they make in uh, Belgium, right? And instead of using yeast for the uh, fermentation process, they use this uh, lactobacillus. And so you, you'd have to go to a homebrew store to get the Lambic deal. But the other one's a good, well-stocked Whole Foods. Just get a bunch of little cartons, come home and start, you know, glopping it into a container of water and shake it up and there you go, you got EM1. I don't want to interrupt anybody's thinking, but there it is, man. So. Good old, good old Armenian yogurt. Yeah, <laughs> Armenian is one of them, thank you. Yes, I mean, we're talking like really, no, I wouldn't call them rare, but um, they're mainstream gross. yogurts. You, you're not going to find it at Albertsons or Kroger. You know, you'd have to go to like a Whole Foods or got to go to a bodega. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> the claim though is that there's uh, photosynthetic bacteria and uh, yeasts. In there, there was along with it. yeah. That's so, what puzzled me because they used to have what they call. Uh, Blue, not sulfur. Yeah, the purple non-sulfur. Purple non-sulfur, thank you very much. And then I was told, because I don't keep up with this, that that component had been discontinued. Is that true? I don't know. I this no was, I, when, last time I dicked around with it was 10 or 12 years ago. So, but uh, I don't know. It, maybe, it, I don't know. I, I, I haven't was, really looked into it in a while. So Right. Yeah. What's up, um, Oh, guys, my my uh, I'm unmuted tonight. Yesterday, the other day when I was muted the whole time, I, <laughs> so I I learned that it, in some ways it's mute right away. So I'm you can hear me today, right? Yes, modern. Yeah. You're my yeah, we, you're my soul, brother. Modern. All right, brother. Good to see you guys. Oh, Everybody's yeah. up late. What the <laughs> fuck? I was like, fuck you guys. I play past your bedtime too. So what the hell? Let's do it. <laughs> I wasn't doing nothing. I'm not ready for bed yet, so. I don't want to go to bed either. Hoots, you ever add molasses ever to anything? Never. I uh, no. No? No. Never. Why not? Uh, why not? I, you got a reason why you don't? I only use hallucinogenic bee honey from Nepal. Okay? <laughs> That'd be nice. You want to be? Uh, you want a real joke? Look up pink Himalayan salt sometime. I, uh, I actually, I'm in, I'm friends with a huge, huge, huge distributor of pink Himalayan salt, whose cousin is, I guess, the minister of uh, minerals in Pakistan, like the leader of the person that's like in charge of the distribution of all minerals and elements and metals and all that shit in Pakistan. Well, I bet you he could smuggle some stuff for us. Probably he goes to Islamab he goes to Islamabad like twice a year. Mm. <laughs> Got y'all thinking. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, even if you just got seeds. For an export. You never know what's going to come out of it. For an export. <laughs> uh, back to your um, When I used to argue with uh, the guy that his online name was uh, Microbe Man, Tim Wilson. He was one of the original, original, original with the compost tea thing. So I was in a uh, Lebanese, uh, Middle East uh, food store. And uh, one of the main ingredients in some of their desserts is uh, pomegranate molasses. So I stood there and held a bottle and had my wife take a picture. And I posted it on IC Mag and I said, hey, Tim, is this as good as uh, sugarcane molasses? You know, is this going to work? Because there's all kinds of, there's date molasses, there's, uh, yeah, you get the idea. There's, uh, molasses is kind of a, it's like saying casserole or sandwich. Yeah. Do you like sandwiches? Well, I don't know what's in it, you know, that kind of thing. All right. So, um, and the other thing is, okay, have you ever noticed that uh, it's always called unsulfured molasses, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Not desulfured. Words have meaning in food. It's unsulfured because sulfur was added to extract more sugar from the sugar cane. So you unsulfur it. It wasn't there naturally. Otherwise, it would be desulfured. Okay. Uh -huh. And so the kind of uh, sulfur that they're using is sulfur dioxide. And it goes through quite a process to remove that. Otherwise, you couldn't use it. I mean, it wouldn't kill you. But the flavor, can you imagine, you know, eating something that, that would uh, taste of burnt sulfur? Uh, that, yeah, it's I mean, uh, unwashed grapes. Eat some unwashed so I guess grapes. If you, so I guess my question always was, well, if, if honey, I mean, excuse me, if, if uh, molasses is so important, let's just say it is, okay, for sake of discussion, why can't I use honey? Why couldn't I use quality yeah. uh, maple syrup. I literally wasn't you joking can. when I said honey. You actually can. You can use honey. I'm talking about the purest. In the original days, yeah. they had this recipe and you deviated. You weren't going to get to dank them. You know, exactly. when that book first came out about, what, 15 years ago? And you had to do, I mean, Tim one time on had his website said that you should add 1.78% molasses to your tea. And I said, you mean I can't just put a dollop in there? I got to get out a triple beam, OHAS triple beam, so I can figure out what 1.78% of five gallons is, really? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean. <laughs> yeah, you don't do that. Blow me. You know, come on. <laughs> We're, you know, this is gardening. You know, I'm not a, I'm just a guy... All I know is that I'm sitting here and I'm not living in some place horrible like Mississippi trying to set up a farm or Alabama. Wisconsin. Or, oh, I don't mind that, but how would you like to go to Jersey and meet Santino and Guido? You know, the uh, money behind a, a big grow outside of Trenton. Sign me up. Uh, or a real hell. I think even though I'm not Catholic, a purgatory would be going to live in Oklahoma somewhere. My God, I man! I, I I hate to say it. I'll take Oklahoma over Wisconsin. Right? Oh, now. really? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I would. Right now. I was thinking politically. 
you know, I mean, me too. I'm in Oregon. Yeah, we're, me no, too. We're left of center here, you know, uh, really left of center. Oklahoma, I'd probably be arrested for a sedition and put into some kind of re-education. All, dude, all I could ask for is center. Just please give me the center. Don't give me any other far off direction of either or. Well, that's all there is left, Redville. No, dude. Nah, Wisconsin, it's too, a little too blue. Hate to say it, man. I'm just glad I retired. My house is paid for. I don't have any bills. Here's the thing. It's, it's, I live in a blue state. You'll have a good life, you know? I mean, I I wish everybody will. You want to put freeze-dried horse urine in your tea in the morning? That sounds groovy. I mean, (laughs) I do it too. Whatever blows your hair back. So reach your toes. Well, that's sweeten up the tea, though. Yeah. <laughs> I somehow live in I somehow live in a blue state that's anti-cannabis. That's the thing that I don't get. But I just want to ask too, Scoot, if adding the sugar is so bad, but when you add a malted barley, that's a lot of the um, sugars and starches, and there's a lot more besides just the enzymes going in on that too. Because I've sure. absolutely. Sugar source as well, similar to adding like a malted barley. I, I, but I promise yeah. you, I promise you, and I've said this to the people in the compost tea paradigm, your objection to it, to them, not to you, your objection to this is that it delivers the promise that your teas never could in terms of increased microbial activity in the soil, in the worm bins, and what have you. And that part can't be denied. You ask anybody that's using it in their worm bin and they will tell you that they got increased colonies. Let me explain. In perfect conditions, it will never have perfect conditions. Never. So this is one of those rhetorical thingies. But a pound of worms today would be a thousand pounds in a year. A thousand pounds in one year. And when we add barley, it speeds up the deconstruction of the organic materials, meaning that the bacteria can access and get to it and deconstruct it because that's what worms eat is their manure, the worm manure. They don't eat anything. It's not like you put, you know, your last night's dessert at the end of the bin and they send out a signal, hey, there's peach melba down in the, you know, in the north end. It doesn't work like that. And people say, well, you know, my worms really like melons. No, they don't. Melons are 99% water. Once you remove the water, of course it went away quick. I mean, think about this. Let's say you want to be a really good worm guy, right? And so you find out that your local uh, produce, wholesale produce company sells cases of apples, organic apples. You can get them for 40 bucks, we'll say. Okay, well, those things are 97%. Oh, let's say 40 bucks for 40 pounds of apples, right? So you end up with 3% material for bacteria to work with. It, magical as they are, they can't turn water into castings. So 3% of 40, it would be 1.2 pounds, right? Yeah, 1.2 pounds. And you paid $40. That better re- really produce some really good castings. See what I mean? But if you take something that's already been pre-digested, like uh, dairy solids is the term used for dairy manure, 
uh, or well-formed compost, you're already bringing in a whole slew of microbes, right? Because that's what composting is, right? It's all microbial activity. See where I'm going with this? So we put that in the worm bin, you've got bacteria working it, and the uh, barley increases that rate. So the reproduction rate, because any organism, you give it more food, it produces more offspring. Right? There you go. Basic, uh, basic, bi uh, not botany, but biology. And I don't, Eagle's not there, but I'm wondering if he's thinking about getting a barley tattoo. About what? <laughs> barley tattoo. Oh, yeah. Hey, the first time I used it, before I even knew about there was barley you could go buy, I was doing what a friend of mine named SSTs. Sprouted CTs, brother. So I did a lot more barley available tea. today. Huh? It's probably a lot more available today, probably. Well, it all, I, I didn't know that it was. That you could buy it in a home brew store. I just, yeah. I, you know, I went about it, about it backwards. But so anyway, the first time I applied, it was right before lights out one night. And they were like in um, about two weeks away from flipping to flower. And the next morning when the lights came on, I went and unzipped the tent and all the leaves were at a 45 degree angle, like they're praying to the lights. Mm -hmm. and I just stood there for about 15 minutes looking at it and I thought, I don't know what's going on, but I think I hit something here. And that's how the whole thing started. Man, I love that. I love when, I know, that's the thing, when plants, not only are they praying, but they don't even stop praying in the middle of the night. You look at your tent in the middle of the night, the leaves are perked straight up. That's when I know a plant's happy and healthy. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what, that's what I was thinking at the time. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a problem with that. My plants to me are, I look at perked up leaves, you know, 45 degree leaves, leaves praying. To me, that's a dog wang, uh, wagging its tail. Right. That's my, I agree <laughs> completely. That's, that's the way I look at it. When I see that reaction, I don't need a soil test. I don't need you know, to whip out my... Yeah, but is there a white paper explaining how the 44-degree angle isn't as good as the 45-degree oh, angle? Dogs are wagging its tail. There's a crystal flying everywhere. But I've seen, seen that's a ratio. at an angle in an unhealthy that's plant. A, so That's a ratio. We'll have to explain that later. So, so that can't be the no, only quantifier. I, I, I don't want to be a little scientific snob, but the degree of uh, light that comes into a prism that projects a rainbow happens to be 42 degrees. 420, mm -hmm. motherfuckers. <laughs> you know, I was saying in a chat the other day that Kutz is the uh, greatest scientist alive today, and I got a little scoffed at it. Who scoffed at it? You, Smiley. Who the fuck was I didn't see I forget who it was. Coots not even a scientist. They're talking about proscience. I'm like, Coots is the greatest scientist alive today, man. Hey, whoever scoffed at the American one, I'm going to kick your ass. 
have to go find it. No, but for real, all these freaking idiots, like science is bullshit because they told me Pluto was a planet. They said the food pyramid, right? remember the food pyramid? Eat as much bread as you fucking can, you fat fucks. They're just yeah. a bunch of idiots, dude. Yeah, the way yeah. you do it is like Red Pill says, man. Whatever you do to your plan, if it looks happier afterwards, do it again. If it doesn't look happy afterwards, don't do it again. And then yeah. you'll get better yeah. and better. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it reminds me of that joke about the guy that watched his neighbor every morning. When he went out to get his paper, he'd watch his neighbor come out in his robe and bend his head down. He'd go run in and smash his head into a brick wall. So he asked him, why do you do that? He says, oh, it feels really good when I quit. So sometimes I think people are on these uh, these newt programs that they read about in Maximum Yield or I'm a dimwit, why can't you be one too, dot com or something. You know? uh, I mean, some of the stuff that, there was a time I was on the Adam Dunn show and I'll, you know his history, but back in the 90s, he was, uh, THC seeds and they were like a big deal uh, in that era after the disaster of the late 80s when everybody got busted. Neville and the people that later became Sensi Seeds and what have you. So I was on there with uh, the Reb. I guess he wrote a book about dikes and spikes and layers or something. How you're supposed to build your soil with, you know, so the plant doesn't have to go searching for the phosphorus. So you want to spike over here and you want a layer like this, you know, he's going through this whole thing. I just was mesmerized by the whole thing. And then of course, Kyle Cushman, Mr. Vega matrix, uh, and his product line. So Adam says, was this stuff organic? He says, it's 95% organic. Is that like being 5% pregnant or what? I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so I, before the show, I asked, I said, well, can I go be the third one? Let, you know, these two gentlemen, you know, do this. Okay. So I just sat there, like I said, mesmerized for like 45 minutes. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Well, see, what happens is, you know, when the, on the fourth week of the third month, you know, it's just like, I mean, just talking, you know, gibberish. And so then I came on, I said, well, you know, I guess where I differ from the other two gentlemen is this. It takes me almost two years to make quality castings and then I don't worry about it anymore. I just use them and I enjoy uh, gardening. <laughs> this isn't like a, a career move, you know? Let me see how many bottles. I used to love the pictures like it on forums before social media and you know, like Icy Mag and Grass City and all this stuff. Guys would show their, their, uh, in their room, this wall of bottles and boxes. How in the fuck can you grow a plant? I mean, you need a computer and a spreadsheet to figure this out. Like, oh, well, this Monday I need to add, you know, boron and next week we'll do molendimum and, you know, anyway. I guess there's a market for that, but I, I wouldn't participate in, you know, or I, I don't want to be involved in it, so. Whatever gives you the best weed, man. That's what it's about. I agree. I think a lot of that stuff is confusing. I do too. It's silliness. Yeah. I think simple, stupid is what I think. You got to do simple, stupid. It's the easiest way to do it. 
Smiley's right, you know, quality composting is no problem. You're dancing. Yeah. It's just true. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It isn't about, you know, uh, rhino skin or wet Betty or whatever, you know, the latest bottle of shit is, you know. So Coots, where's a where's a good place for me being out in Vegas to get good worms? Because I'm actually wanting to start my own worm bin. So I want That's to get a problem up. after the pandemic. A lot of people around the country set up worm bins to do home gardening and things. And the lack of available worms is staggering. Wow. I, mean, I used to have companies that I could arrange 500 pound purchases of worms, 500 pounds of worms, or at least cocoons. Coons are worried, the least expensive way to get into it because you buy the worms, a, a thousand, a pound of worms, or excuse me, a pound of cocoons was roughly a thousand, uh, a, a thousand individual cocoons. And each cocoon will hold on average four hatchlings. So you're going to have 4,000 worms once they hatch and they're going to be sexually mature in six to six and a half weeks. Okay, now every week, a worm, they're hermorphoditic, but it takes two to create cocoons. They line up and they exchange body fluid and each worm goes on its way and then creates a cocoon. And they'll do that on average one and a half times a week. So think about this for a minute. So you're starting out with 4,000 worms and as soon as they start producing, every week they're going to produce uh, what, 3,000 uh, cocoons. And the original worms are going to live four and a half to five years. They don't sleep. They don't call in sick. Their mothers don't die. The best employees, they like, you know, 24 seven. And their offspring, think about that, 4,000 uh, worms produce six, every week they're doing that. And they're hatching. And then in six weeks, all those are producing. That's how you get to the 1,000 pounds of worms from one pound of worms. If you had perfect, and you never will, you know, it would cost big, serious money, but you get the idea. You can definitely, so what I would do is look for uh, cocoons, stay away from the big national people, which really aren't, it's like an umbrella and you sign up to become a producer for this entity. Um, oh, I know who you can call over in Southern California and San Luis Obispo, uh, San Luis Obispo, it's either vermicompost or something like that. Anyway, uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful person and they run a really good, she could probably get you a pound. And that, unfortunately, if you can get a pound, you're doing really well in these days. Well, and try what, to was find the the, what was the name of the place again? Uh, San Luis Obispo Worms. Worms. Okay. All right. I got all of it except for the worms part. All right. Oh, no. All San right. Luis Obispo is the name. San Luis Obispo Worms is the name of the company. Right. Okay. So what's her name anyways? Is oh, I don't remember. I'm sorry. All I did right, a program cool. on, uh, what is it? A future cannabis project. And it was all about vermicomposting and 
there was me and uh, these names wouldn't mean anything to you, but uh, most people because they have their same. Uh, Steve Diver, uh, he's now head of the hemp uh, operation, or excuse me, uh, instruction at University of Kentucky. Uh, there was a guy, the guy there who started uh, worm power in upstate New York. At one time, they had 200 million worms in production. They were working the uh, dairy solids from the upstate New York dairy industry. And so this was a, a joint effort between the industry and government to get, because every dairy cattle produces 100 pounds of manure a day. So, you know, every so day, that's food. That's seven food. days a week. <laughs> So they had a lot of poop to get rid of. And so what yeah. they would do is they, uh, this, when they set this up, it's called worm power and they would legitimately compost the manure to, again, to get rid of pathogens. So now you have something that's microbial inert and they would mix it with silage. And then that would go in the worm bin. It was a, it's a, read the history. It's really fun. And even on YouTube, look up worm power and this is how it was done on an international level. Two hundred million worms. Imagine that. That's a lot. A lot yeah. of worms. They had a yeah. lot of manure. You know, I mean, <laughs> I know. Like here, we have Tillamook, a big uh, dairy area of Oregon, right on the coast, right on the Pacific Ocean. I mean, there are small farms, but there's just a lot of, you know, there's still a lot of ca uh, dairy cattle. So uh, we don't do a good job of it here. They need to have it set up like that. And that would be a moneymaker. I'll tell you this, the guy that uh, I know of down in uh, Florida, he averages a quarter million a year without any employees selling uh, yards of uh, vermicompost. And he did selling worms by the pound for 30, raised that up to 50, $50 a pound. Um, and uh, the castings were going for uh, $400 a yard. That sounds expensive, but that's a yard's 27 cubic feet, so 27 bags. It's less than a dollar fifty a bag. That's I don't, I don't, I don't know what the uh, amount is, but, but I had a uh, worm compost uh, manufacturer, a larger scale guy, give me a, a classic one of those steel garbage cans. Yes. Full, uh, for I think eighty bucks. <laughs> you couldn't make it for eighty bucks. <laughs> I mean, just going and getting the manure and dragging it, you know, to your <coughs> farm, unless you had, you know, your own animals or something. That's a deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's I the wanna problem. Say, is I want to say it was about that same pound. It was about 50 pounds. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, my, I always, my advice is always to everybody, use uh, smart pots. They breathe. That's the biggest issue is not having um, aeration in the substrate because this is an aerobic process, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest problems with worm bins, it's starting to smell. Well, when it's running right, it's not going to smell. And even if you have a heavy hand, you overwater it. 
that allows for the water to be removed because worms breathe through their skin. If it's too wet, they can't breathe. They die. So, uh, and that's cheap. You can get a, a hundred gallon, that's a half a yard. So that's, that's say 14 bags of worm castings. Mm -hmm. You can buy one of those for under $25. That's a right. cheap worm bin. Just put it on a pallet because you want it up. So you got air moving through the bottom, right? And then load it with your material with some kind of aeration, however you want to get there. You know, some people use perlite, some people use uh, rice hulls. Because it's available, I use pumice, but you know, that part doesn't matter. You do need aeration though for drainage and all those other things. And then all the worms you can afford or find, I guess now it's more about finding more so than what you can afford. Anyway, that's a, uh, my uh, best advice I can give is just you, you got to look and look and look. There's the days of, hey, get your worms here or over. You know, it's, you got to you got to kind of so dig that's, around. That's what it seems that's like. Real though, is like with the uh, worm castings, like you just said, Coop, being a third of the mix, like trying to do the 800 gallon smart pot like you were talking. I mean, that's a lot of worm castings that's going to go in that mix. You're going to have 36. The other thing, um, and I posted this before and I'll be more than happy to share with everybody. I have a, a, a legitimate, from a legitimate agricultural lab, not one of these, you know, whatever. Uh, Five-year-old soil. It should be really depleted, shouldn't it? Because, you know, isn't that the, 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 the deal? Oh, well, you, you got to replace it, man. You got to have fresh soil. Anyway, the only thing missing on it were some of the micronutrients. Okay, so I'll throw some kelp in there. And it'll be there with, in the right balance, okay? And uh, that was it. The numbers were off the chart. Like the line was here for what the, what you want on the the, the macronutrients, you know, the calcium, uh, yeah, calcium and phosphorus and nitrogen. And so uh, here was the like you got to be here, and it was up here. So the soil got better. So yeah, it's a big hit to get started, maybe. But you know, you're not redoing it every year. Also, I made a batch of soil based on my size of garden. It lasted me a year to a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I could justify that because buying an entire regimen of bottles, you know, base nutrients and whatever, 12 other amendments would last me the same amount of time, but it would cost me probably 10 times as much. Sure. So, Coots, I used to live in uh, Oregon That's City. Where I live. Right at the confluence of the yeah. uh, Clackamas and the uh, Willamette Rivers. I live in the old McLaughlin district, yeah. right behind the uh, public library built uh, 100 and something years, okay. 10 years ago. Yeah, I lived right up at the top of the hill by the, uh, what, what was it? it? It's up there before you get the, I think it's to the 84. Or am I thinking wrong? I'm thinking wrong. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what the uh, uh, the freeway is that they built on the back side there. Oh, 205. Yeah, the 205. Yeah. yeah. So it's up on the upper plateau where it's almost 
you know. Right. I live in yeah. the old, uh, what they call the historical district. Most of the homes yeah. were built between 1840 and uh, 1920. Now, my house wasn't, but it, because of the covenants of the association here, the house had to look older. In other words, I couldn't put a Frank Lloyd Wright, <laughs> you know, glass and metal house there, here. So it had to look like it came out of the, from a hundred years are ago. Are you around this, a bunch of brick homes? What's that? Brick? Are oh, no, brick? we don't do brick here in, on the west, uh, northwest. And it's weird. I don't get it either. I'm, I'm in a really weird, I'm in Southeast Wisconsin and we literally have Frank Lloyd Wright buildings all over sure. the place, but buildings of that time were all brick. Well, see this neighborhood was built mm -hmm. 60 years before electricity was installed anywhere in the city of Portland. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think I, I think I, I literally have like in a mile and a half span in any direction. I think I have three different flank, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're pretty, this is like really kind of redneck is, uh, you know, it's good old boys and, uh, we're not like those elite snobs up there in Portland <laughs> where coffee bistros and oh, man. Port you know. Portland. Portland scares me, but it's almost literally like from this last year, I, I learned it's almost exactly like Kenosha. Hey, hey guys, I got to jump off here. Actually, I got people going to be getting up in the morning. <laughs> so I can either make somebody else host or whatever. I, mean, I just have to get off. But if you guys want to keep the conversation, I can make you I, host. I need to get off too. And, and I got to go too. I enjoyed yeah, uh, talking with you guys. It was fun. Yeah, and, it was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a hoot, cool. I, I appreciated this. This is a good conversation. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. ask me about breeding. I'm not a breeder. So, yeah. I don't even pretend yeah. to be one. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about okay. that next time. Hmm. <laughs> I've got a lot of documentation I can uh, next books on uh, academic books that have been flipped over to PDFs. And one of them was when it came out five, six years ago, was, you know, $500. These aren't, you know, worm worm bins for dummies or, you know. Uh, right, yeah. You know, I mean, this is like hardcore. I've got a book on Neem, the, the uh, gentleman, we got a PhD in 1958 and spent the next 35 years researching Neem trees in Asia and Africa and published his book in 1993. But I should listen to a guy who took a, a two-day course, Shake and Bake, and now he's a, a consultant. And I can go meet up with him at Canacon. You tell you about that. Detriment to meme. Right on. Um, Coots, Smiley, Red Pill, Tao. Who else is in here? We got uh, Modern. Oh, Gus was in here again. earlier. Gus, Cascadian, Eagle. Yeah, much love to everybody. Cascadian was in here. That's right. Yes, Cascadian. He was a wealth of information, too. Um, Coots, it was awesome being on the uh, the same panel as you. It was uh, it was exciting just sitting here listening. I've been I've been looking forward to that moment for a minute. So this is cool, Smiley. You have a great day. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna try to have a good day, and appreciate you, brother. Yeah, man, big time. All right, guys. All right, I guys. Run, hey? I'll see you guys all later. Good night, everybody. Peace, peace out, all. Peace out.
It's always fucking good, fucking talking shit with Smiley. Right? Thanks, Tal. Hell yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, peace out. Yeah, man, okay. peace out. Thanks, right. Pippo. It yep. has been a great This has been a great conversation. I hate cutting it short, too. Coot's awesome hanging out, chatting oh, it up. And, yeah, yeah. So. If, if we had some more to go on and I had that uh, torch, to, uh, torch to pass on to, I'd be down for it. But... This is definitely one to rewatch. I'm probably definitely going to rewatch this one. I don't watch a lot of ones that I'm on because I kind of get creeped out about listening to myself. I'm one of those kind of people. But yeah, I'm going to probably watch this one over again. So, yeah. Right. Peace it's out, not everyone. the Wrath of Smiley either, just because I ask good questions. Right? Oh, oh, no, no, no I, I, I just like <laughs> that, man. I, you know what? Because if it, I, I don't know. I, I don't mind that you do it, and it, it, you know, it's like a thing. If like if you, if you weren't there to do that, then it would just be me running into a dead air wall. You know what I mean? It's a little bit of yeah. conversation back and forth. So it's all. Good. I don't really, yeah. So yeah, thank you, Coots, too. Uh, this was like I said. I'm I'm happy to get to chat and talk to you. Yeah. I love your dog, man. I got a little pit bull bully, too. I got that same head, man. My my dog's 18 months old and his head is 21 inches round right now. So uh, you just got him too, Red Pill, is that right? No, I, I got him June, uh, I mean uh January 6th, 2020. So right before our end of the what we consider the pandemic to be. No, nope, that was when I was still in Colorado. Yeah, I've had him for a year and a half here in about a year, year and a half now. He's about to turn. His birthday is uh, October thirty first, Halloween. So he'll yeah, be two, dog, two years. She's ten this November. So yeah. She's getting slow. We've been feeding her CBD though. I gave her a little puff in her stuff, but I don't know for how long. <laughs> I've, I've been wanting to integrate stuff like that, like uh, the um, eggs, eggs in his food been trying to do i've been wanting yeah. to feed him more like liver and organ meat and then yeah okay. cbd too Man. he always begs for food anything yeah that's his thing is he's stubborn you gotta really make him feel like you're pissed off for him to listen you know otherwise you gotta whip out some food he'll do anything for a little bit of treat you know so Train. They're smart dogs. So yeah. lately, well, cool man. We'll catch you. I was Friday, I hope everybody has. Lately, he has a thing where he just sits in the front yard. That's his thing. Is he'll just pull on the leash. He just wants to sit in the front yard. I don't know what it is, but he'll just knock out sideways, sunbathing. And he doesn't do it in the backyard. I can't get him to do it in the backyard. He just likes to literally lay in the driveway. Or lay right at the corner of the fucking sidewalk, right in the front yard. Maybe he's waiting for, like, he's waiting for that poodle to walk by and he's got to show yeah. up. Yeah. He noticed <laughs> a little girlfriend that he's missing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Funny. All right. Oh, Peace, everyone. Thank you. Uh, this was a good. Uh, this was a good wormhole. All right. Thank you, Smiley, for taking it overtime. Peace out, yeah. everyone. Adios. Awesome, man. I, 
I hope everybody does have a great Friday. And uh, so I don't forget for Eagle, uh, at random acts of kindness, save lives. And if you can do something nice for somebody else, especially on a Friday. So if I ever uh, it's a start to the uh, 